Hey there, quick announcement. Uh, we are going to do another letters episode after the New Adventures in Hi-Fi episode. However, we're going to be recording that episode well before the New Adventures in Hi-Fi episode comes out. I, I, I know it's confusing. So if you're listening to this and you have anything that you want to write in about REM as a band, about um, albums that we have discussed in the past, um, or you know maybe even stuff in the future... Uh, go to duckfeed.tv slash contact and send us your emails. Go back and listen to the previous episode about Dead Letter Office to hear how that works. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We want to hear your thoughts about this band because we like it. Um, like We like the band, but we also want to hear how you like it too, or don't, all of that. So uh, duckfeed.tv slash contact is the place to go. Uh, the deadline for that is June the 28th, so a week after this episode comes out. Once again, duckfeed.tv slash contact. This is Gary Butterfield. This is Cole Ross. And this is File Underwater, the show where we try to convince you that Automatic for the People belongs on the top 100 album list of the 90s. Controversial opinions all around. Yeah, it's the... Um, Gary, I cannot tell the, you how many bricks I've had thrown through my front windows because of the things you say at the, at the front of these. I don't know why they're coming to me instead of you. It, well, it's because we have a, a, a very small, very passionate fan base of like <laughs> 30 guys who listen to this show and really care. Yeah. And then... Uh, literal infinite people uh-huh who are just like i assume don't listen but do agree with what i say at the beginning okay yeah and they just listen to the beginning and they stop <laughs> right yeah um, um but uh like you alluded to this time uh we are talking about automatic for the people which is the album that uh rem released on october 5th of 1992 again hitting those election years yeah this is a big one yep and it's weird to say mid-period rem <laughs> like we're in mid like i always think of this as like late you know moving to late rem mm -hmm. we're still we're still now we are in mid-period rem yeah this is the, like the, this this is right before the end of act two or it's the middle yes. it's the middle of act two let's say yes yeah and it, it's a lot like tyranny where like act three is really short it's like <laughs> just two albums and it, it's you know so it's a uh, you know we're we're, we're getting there Okay, there. But this is a big deal. A lot of people who are only casual fans of the band um, know this album and like this album. Like it, I feel like this is the album that if you have one REM album in your collection, mm -hmm. it's most likely to be this or out of time. Yeah, but probably this. Like most this likely, inescapable. Most likely this. The uh, the book that I'm reading, um, Remarks Remembered, made the uh, made the remark <laughs> um, that um, like this is one of those albums that sold to people who didn't really buy albums. You know, it yes. was like, uh, uh, what's that joke about Frampton? Frampton comes alive. Like just every, every white person's house came with it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You have like six albums. <laughs> right. And, and one, this is one <laughs> of them. the, uh, little, little special meta report. This is the last album, uh, covered by my oral history. Mm. So this is the last time I'm going to have stories. Cause those Athens scenesters, you know, don't care <laughs> after this point. They, they, they fully, they fully abandoned them around the time of monster. Like, so so they, I, I'm switching boats to Perfect Circle, yeah. Uh, but I haven't started reading it yet. Yeah. So. Well, um, in fairness, most of those scenesters were only around as long as Mike Mills had his appendix. 
Yeah. <laughs> there were really only somehow. fans of Mike Mills' appendix. <laughs> like, who is it? <laughs> He's like Phantom X. Yeah. Like his, his secondary mutation are these Just, all these external organs. Yeah. <laughs> man, that's a great idea for like Fury Road 2. Like you have one person hooked up to all these different people. Uh-huh. You know, like a, like a spider web uh, out of them. And each one, their organ is acting for Ugh. For him, so like this person is my heart, this person is my liver, this person is my lungs, and I'm just like a... <laughs> that, 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 so like that string of sentences you just said started really kind of like romantic and resonant, and, and, <laughs> and immediately took a turn for the grizzly. This, this, this person is my breath, this person is my pancreas. Hi, hi, I am pancreas. I'm pancreas P. Well, yeah. well that's, a, that's a strange a strange coincidence that your name is Pete. It's my job and my name. Huh? <laughs> I don't understand why these are also dinosaur helpers from the Flintstones. Yeah. It's a living. I, I assume that it's not a great job. It's a, that, that happens in uh, that's in the basement of that uh, that cultist uh, compound in Dark Corners of the Earth, actually. Oh, yeah. There's a thing where somebody is hooked up to machines. But I'm saying, what if those machines were people? Right. You know, like, a, like, like in Fury Road. Oh, of course. You know? Yeah, everything yeah. is, is human powered, yeah. or or like Peter uh, Thiel. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, this this album can be less like Fury Road. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very chill. It's very low key. And in the rumblings leading up to this, I think that I sounded more negative on it than I actually ended up being. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's let's get into it. Yeah, it's it's a real middle boy for me. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, it is, it is when I listened to it, I was like, I loved it and loved it and loved it. And then like going back to it, I'm like, ah, you know, it, it's good that I think that that, that softness doesn't serve it entirely. I would much prefer like greater texture yes, to this it, record and the next record. Yeah. Like this is, this is uniform in a way that monster is not. Um, I think that the, the, the highs are much, much higher in this one. Than in, than in monster. The, yeah. Yeah. I think the lows are higher too. Okay. Uh, and this then monster monster has a call and we'll get to it like we, yeah. we're doing a whole episode on it we're recording <laughs> right after this be patient but like there's a i think that the, i think that both the albums have a certain kind of one notishness i think this is more one notey than monster yeah <clears throat> but they're both uh pretty pretty samey mm-hmm. as, as you kind of move through them and and that's that's a bummer um and it was it's kind of interesting because it's was an accident mm-hmm. you know that that turned out that way monster is by design this is kind of a weird accident mm-hmm. um there's a couple of like interesting bits of trivia. The one that I read. So originally um, you've got in the notes that it originally wanted to be called uh, unforgettable. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank God. <laughs> it, they didn't call it that. Uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, that was, a, that was a Peter Buck joint. So uh, Peter yeah. Buck, I think batten, let's say zero on titles. Yeah. He's, he's not great. And, and the, uh, and I've read that it was going to be called star at some point. Okay. Um, which I, I like more. Yeah, stars uh, stars better, but it's also not uh, it's not as distinct. I think automatically grandiose. people is a really good name. It's, I think it's their best album title. Oh yeah, <laughs> like the, the, I think this album title is great. Yeah, um, the story behind it's great. Like the you know the the phrasing is great. Like I love it. Like this is I think this is their greatest album title. Yeah, that's I, I we should go back. I'm not going to do it, but we should go back and do the intro where it's where we try to convince you that uh, Max for the people <laughs> is, the is the best album title. Is the best album title. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to put a little bit of stereo separation on that so it sounds like it's coming from over in the corner? <laughs> I've got a a little Bluetooth speaker for listening to music. Okay. And uh, when I have it hooked up about listening to music, sometimes I'll take these pictures of asking Roars if he wants to get a cold one. And when I play them back, it comes from the Bluetooth speaker and it destroys Roars' brain. <laughs> like he can't handle my voice and his voice coming from the other side of the room where there's nothing there. 
it's really funny. I think he cannot handle it. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna need some footage of that. If you can, I, I've got to figure out a way to take footage of it because it has to be while I'm playing the video. Mm-hmm. So I'll need to get like I'll need to play the video and get somebody else to take footage of him or something. But like, it's really <laughs> funny. Like it's it's a like opens up the doors of perception. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so star would have been an okay okay title unforgettable no no thank you um the name is inspired by the by the slogan for this soul food restaurant in athens called uh called weaver d's um, yeah and i love this that there's this great just such a mike mills quote uh when he was talking about yeah it just feels like our approach to music and here's his quote it's like here's some songs and we hope that you like them oh <laughs> A special boy. Um, <laughs> Here, we made, we made this for you. You can like them or not. It's fine. Um, I love the the story of them doing this title, you know, because mm-hmm. they've, they've gone there. They, they're legit. Like, they supported this place. They loved it. Um, and they, uh, they decided they wanted to call it, uh, you know, call it that. And you can read about uh, in Watch, like, there's a little, like, micro documentary mm-hmm. about the making of this. That is the members of R.E.M. talking about the album, Intercut. With uh, Dexter Weaver, yep. the proprietor of uh, you know Weaver D's Fine Foods, um, talking about the the experience of mm-hmm. like getting asked and how the the origins of the name and stuff, and he seems like the nicest, best dude. He so he so does. Like this is a person who is just has just mastered like this restaurant tours kind of patter. Um, yeah, just like hospitality, like the whole way down. Like I was wrapped by this guy, just like telling these stories as he was hauling around these things of wings. I, you know, and they, they did this, there's this whole thing where they, they sold, they sell peanuts mm-hmm. out of theirs and they became this like collector's item. Yeah. It's so, like peanut. Cause they said automatic for the people on them. Mm-hmm. So like eventually, you know, they had them in auction and stuff <laughs> where people were like, uh, you know, buying these, these, you know, $5 peanuts. bags of peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, for 30, 40, 60, $70. Right. Because they were REM fans. Um, I think that restaurant's still around and I've thought about before, like, you know, a couple like toury things I, i'd want to do if i had just dumb money mm-hmm. and one of them would be to go to athens and go look at a bunch of athens shit oh yeah and yeah. Uh, it'd be great to go to this restaurant and just yeah. like someone in our slack shared uh, an av club article that was like a tour of the sacred rem sites of athens yeah yeah which would be but that like that that would be cool like georgia's awesome like flying into atlanta and then going there would be really fun i think so too yeah yeah i would do that and then i want to do the uh, the gabriel knight tour <laughs> and go do all the things from Gabriel Knight one. Oh, of course. Um, but yeah, but yeah, he's, he seems really, really great. And you, I recommend people watch that because it's very charming. Yeah. The, uh, but, but, but the story is like you, you would go to this restaurant and order something and then everybody there would say automatic, Yep. you know, as they, yeah. as they go for it. Like, and on one, on one hand, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but on the other hand, it makes perfect sense. And it also like automatic for the people uh, being wrapped up in this, you know, it, it, it does sound very political like yes. on its face before you realize that it's, you know, them, them having lifted it from a, from a restaurant. That's a nice phrase. Yeah. <laughs> um, something to, to make note of kind of moving forward here in the band is that we've, we've been um, for the show been spoiled by these 25th anniversary right. uh, albums. And we have now uh, bypassed that. So we know um, some stuff about the makings of the, these records and kind of like, you know, how many songs they worked with and how many th- things they cut it down from. Mm-hmm. But we haven't been able to hear those songs or demos until, you know, R.E.M. has released them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they haven't released a lot of them. Like right. this is this is a point where the band has been a little bit more private uh, moving on mm-hmm. from here. And bootleggers have not done a good job 
no. of uh, you know sneaking into the REM compound and stealing the <laughs> shit. Well, a lot of those bootlegs were done from live performances, and you know, for out of time and for automatic for the people, there was there were no performances really. Well, so I mean, not that the demo ones weren't like the demo right, cuts right, weren't, weren't you know because some of those were REM released all those for out of time, but. Prior to that, for like green and document and stuff, somebody just got their hands on them, and I don't know how they did that. Right, right. Whoever that you know hero hamburglar is, like <laughs> he he needs to hamburger some shit up for us. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you love this album, this year the 25th anniversary is coming out, and based on all the ones leading up to that, that's definitely the version of this album to get because there'll oh, definitely sure. be some cool secrets. Yeah, I'm I'm way into it. So we're going to be making reference, you know, a lot of this stuff. Um, if it is going to pop up, it will either be from the fan club, like we started talking about last week uh, or last uh, last episode, or it will be stuff that made its way to uh, in time, uh, which is their kind of big collection of both singles and then also rarities uh, yes. that came out in like 2003. But then like after that, for around the sun and on, we're back to being SOL. Yeah, and there, there's some B sides and there's some. Uh... Uh, compilation appearances, things like that. Yeah, yeah. But just uh, if you like that, because I, I mean, I don't know if it how much it appeals to people who listen, but I like hunting that stuff down because it's like, hey, here's, you know, five or six REM songs I've never heard. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really fun. The fan club has done that a little bit for me because yeah. I only heard the, probably heard you know maybe a third of those prior to this. Yeah. Um. But uh. Yeah. So we're not going to get that peek into this creative process. We can only read about it. Right. Um, so let's get into that creative process for this, uh, this record. Yeah. Uh, so when we were talking about out of time, um, and the production of that, we made an allusion to the fact that they had this kind of fifth member in Peter Holzapple from the DBs, um, who they had on and who actually like freed them up to do some different arrangements, right? He was their kind of swing instrumentalist. Um, and Peter Holzapple, uh, was let go prior to making automatic for the people. And that actually shaped the, uh, the you know the the composition of this album um and the reason he was let go was kind of just over money stuff like mm-hmm. the 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 four main members you know we've kind of lauded them for being this single unit that split proceeds and songwriting evenly but a result of that is that they are this you know again this closed unit like they are and so they were not willing to let a fifth person in and say like hey you are officially an rem <laughs> right yeah and so like and you, you that, can see that being a slap in the dick yeah. you know like that that being pretty frustrating like hey i've been like working on and writing these songs and writing parts and like i feel like i have some ownership over this i've been playing these shows with you at your promotional things uh you know why can't i be an rem mm-hmm. you know yeah and so like they, they they even say as much you know there were there were some quotes that were like yes this is it's frustrating but it's just the way that we are and just the way that we work and yes. how much that resonates with you or how much you think that is a good kind of excuse or explanation is going to vary person for person. But like, well, yeah, it does suck for Peter Holes Apple who like contributed and helped make out of time, you know, kind of the album that it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. Um, the, the complete story is not really out there as, you know, as far as if there's bad blood right, and the like that isn't, isn't mentioned. Um, but it's a bummer. Um, so they went into, uh, without, without Peter, uh, with only one Peter, <laughs> no Peter's club. <laughs> we can have one. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. They, they, uh, they, they're working, uh, you know, once they started making their album, they had this rehearsal studio where they wrote these songs. Um, and their kind of schedule was they'd record for, you know, rehearse and write songs for three weeks, take one week off per month. Yeah. Um, and when they set out to do this, um, they initially started wanting to make a rock album. Yes. 
Um, I don't know if that popped up in, in your notes, but like they were like, hey, out of time was real was real wussy. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's go crazy. Um, let's do something hard rock. And it just wasn't working. No, no. Um, like those songs just weren't very good. They came up with some, but they had like a half dozen, not enough for a record. And they didn't like them that much. Mm-hmm. Um, they you know put together like 30 or 40 songs. Uh, for this, some of which were those rock songs, mm-hmm. but because that wasn't working, they decided to kind of go with this other approach. Right. This other approach that continued the acoustic instrumentation from out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, like they had not so much settled on writing songs on their own kind of assigned instruments. Right. You know, they were still, you know, working with Buck on a mandolin and with, you know, Bill Barry on bass and Mike Mills on keyboard, and then eventually going back to whatever they needed to uh, with the, uh, you know, with, with, with the recording and Stipe, Michael Stipe wasn't really involved at all. Like, no, they, they finished the demos and didn't give them to him for half a year. Right. Um, you know, they, they gave him to the beginning. This uh, came out in 1992. They gave the demos to Michael Stipe at the beginning of 92. Right. Right. And he got this and he was like, what the fuck did you guys just give me? <laughs> yeah. I think he thinks it's weirder than it is. Yeah. Like every member of the band when they're writing about this album or like talking about this album is like, yeah, it's actually really weird. It doesn't sound weird to me at all. No, like no. It, it's way too. And maybe what is weird about it is like some of these like, yeah, it has all these weird organs on it. And it's like, that's just an organ. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Like <laughs> right. there's some weird instrumentation, but the structures and stuff do not particularly sound weird to me. Right. Um, yeah. And, and like, we're not going to get into some like r- really weird shit again until monster, you know, again, yeah, like, monster so, has some weird stuff on yeah, it. Yeah. Like, and that was, that was entirely deliberate on you know on on their part so it's hard to understand where that's coming from it's also hard to understand you know or hard to discern if that is just a function of like hey automatic for the people has kind of always been <laughs> you mm, yeah, know? yeah and so like you know we, we like know we, exactly yeah like this this has kind of always been a date not always like came out in your lifetime came out in my lifetime but like we understand and have internalized it as part of the arc you know yes but even listening to it paired up next out of time, you can see the line between the two of them on everything, I think, except subject subject matter. Um, and even then, sometimes that. Yeah, they make the, the albums make really interesting kind of like links of a chain, you know, looking at one after the other up until up. Right. You know, where there's that definitive breakpoint, which we'll talk about at length and is really interesting. But uh, up until that point, like this makes sense to talk about in relation to out of time and in relation to monster. Mm hmm. Monster makes sense to talk about in relation to this and into New Adventures um, and kind of previously working back as well. Right. Like they all make sense after one another. Um, I think that this this with Out of Time, uh, this is getting more into talking about the music than the production. But, mm-hmm. you know, that thought made me think like I think this is as far as two albums next to each other is the most samey they've kind of been. Right. Like Out of Time is different, but they are both kind of sleepy adult contempo albums like. I don't think they've really done two in a row that are quite this samey. No, like you could, you could probably make a little bit of an argument for like a pageant to, um, or gosh, not, not pageant from fables to pageant for like parts of it, but not for the entire thing. Yeah. Fables. It feels really different than pageant to me. Um, you know, like at least uh, more different than, than out of time to automatic does. Yeah. Yeah. To me. Um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of a weird thing, and it's not a function, as far as I can tell, of the songs being written at the same time. No, no. You know, it's like they just sat down to write another batch of, you know, these kind of these kind of dirgy numbers for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know. and like there, there's this kind of myth around the album that like, hey, this was again them writing this while they were miserable. You know, it's a, it's it's a little bit of that fables kind of kind of kind of symptom, 
or syndrome. Mm-hmm. But like the only person who I can see who was actually really in a bad way was was Buck, right? So mm-hmm. Peter Buck was divorced, he was drinking a lot, he was gaining weight, like by all outward appearances, he was kind of falling apart. Yeah. And, and that even... Peter Buck is my favorite Peter Buck. It's like how you have a favorite with Buddhas. <laughs> like <laughs> Like the fat buck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like he was miserable and he was like living out of his car, even though he didn't have to. And he would go like he disappeared for six months to Mexico, uh, you know, yeah. uh, hot on the heels of releasing their most their, you know, their 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 most successful album. Like he was he was in a really rough way. And if you believe what Peter Buck says, Bill Berry was also kind of struggling with the success. Right. Which is a real thing. Yeah. Hard to be sympathetic but- toward, but it's a real thing. Um, yeah, it's, like, it's, a, it's a real thing. Like, yeah, it, it's one of those things where it's like it is hard to be sympathetic towards and and rightly so. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it just the uh, uh, the, you know, everybody it's it's all relational. Right. You know, it's all relative because like, you know, guys like, you know, success is hard. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a different kind of hard. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but could also be, you know, uh, or Barry rather was also the person who I can imagine being kind of the most bummed out by this because he really wanted to do that rock album. Yeah. And for the next album, he puts his foot down. Yes. You know, that's like, that's one of those like, you know, quotes that shows up in everything, <laughs> which is I'm about if, Monster. We, if we do another acoustic album, I'm going to leave the band. Yeah. Like we have to, we have to actually be a rock band because this <laughs> kind of sucks. Uh, <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. The, like you know. The, the, the drummer gets the shit end of that. Like, do I even need yeah. to be here? um totally i'm gonna play tambourine during the song (laughs) not a percussionist right Uh, (laughs) check my doc my job description holmes yeah um or i guess holt um but 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 slice (laughs) 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 but yeah so like there there's this uh kind of story that there's a cloud of misery over this entire album but like michael stipe wasn't going through a bunch of shit at this time like yeah, he, they, were, they were mostly fine. Yeah, like Mike like, Mills was pretty much just kind of being smiling politely. <laughs> yep, smiling exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I think I think that, and also when they've talked about it, they've been like, uh, you know, they like the album, and they've also said that it was pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. This process, yeah. Um, and part, you know, part of the reason why you know they're having this bad time, part of the reason why it was so kind of uh, frictionless is because they decided not to go on tour again, right? Um. So they they recorded all over. They did a couple of very rare promo things. Um, specifically, there's one. They did a Greenpeace benefit show mm-hmm. that at uh, the Forty Watt Club. That I tried to find a complete bootleg of and and couldn't. Right. Uh, I'm sure that was bootlegged. Yeah. Uh, but I but I couldn't find it. But like rare, you know, performances from this era are kind of rare. There are songs on this album that were probably only played that night mm-hmm. and never made their way onto live sets. Or if they did, they got like unearthed in like 2008. Right. Right. Or something like that. But like. Two albums not touring is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, that's a long time. It's 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 a very long time, and that probably contributed a lot to <laughs> – well, I mean, we're going to talk about that a lot next episode. Man, it's really hard not to talk about Monster along with this. Yeah, it's very it's very paired with it. And then when we get yeah. to New Adventures, like New Adventures was literally recorded on that tour. So <laughs> right. it will be hard not to talk about those in, in pairing too. But right, it's, it's right. all fine. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's all fine. So instead of touring, like, you know, they actually just went around the U.S., fulfilled their desire to travel and then just recorded in a bunch of different studios in a bunch of different cities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they did uh, the demo initial demos at uh, John Keane's place in Athens. And some of those are on the album. Right. 
So like specifically drive is that demo, mm-hmm. uh, the bass and drums from that and some other parts actually made it onto the album. So yeah. there's kind of this, uh, this DNA from all these locations they recorded that ended up in the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Scott Lid was like following them around and doing, doing his whole thing, uh, with mm-hmm. them. Um, they did overdubs for drive. Um, and they also did some instrumentals in new Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, then they also did their backing tracks. Um, most of those, uh, in Bearsville in uh, New York, New York State, um, around Woodstock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some more overdubs at uh, Criteria Studios in Miami, um, where everybody except for Michael Stipe kind of hung out at the beach yeah. <laughs> all day. Like, this is just them taking a vac- This is like uh, fucking Adam Sandler <laughs> making really movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, and, and like, the, the band kind of did this instead of touring. Uh, to me, that like is really... Yeah, that doesn't really fulfill the purpose of a tour. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You know, it sounds nice for you know, very nice that you know, this is this is kind of a rock star move, it feels like to me. A little bit. Which is yeah. fine. You know, it, it, that's fine. Like you guys have the money, you spend it however you want. Mm-hmm. Uh the, but the, like they, they were they were not doing this to get out there and connect with fans of different geographies. Yeah. And and <sighs> tellingly in the uh the oral history book, that comes up a lot. Yeah. Like the last chapter is actually pretty kind. I was expecting it to be more, you know, bitter just because of how bitter it's been. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of as I read it, but like the, it's mostly people who are just like, yeah, like you guys got a tour, like, you know, you're, you're starting to get disconnected from people and not just these people who are like, you know, you're ostensibly your friends who you guys don't actually like, you know, that much or like on and off, but like you guys are kind of getting disconnected. You guys have to be a band. Right. Right. You know, it doesn't feel like a band anymore. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of that, you have kind of this. I don't know, history that is written about it. Again, the story that forms, which is like, well, the Beatles decided to stop touring and they made Sgt. Peppers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, which like, it makes sense in, in retrospect, but like, right. you know, at the time I could see it being very unsatisfying. Yeah. And also, and also frustrating, you know, for, yeah. for, for somebody who might live in Chicago and never have a chance to never have a chance to see them, even though they are producing kind of this work that more people than ever are hearing. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that I think is really cool and what I think actually works well on this much better than it actually should uh, is the strings. Normally, like the the added strings are either unnoticed or they are uh, obnoxious, but they got John Paul Jones, uh, the the, uh, the bassist and keyboardist from Led Zeppelin, uh, to kind of arrange the string parts uh, in Atlanta and put them on mm-hmm. four of the songs, the four songs that would end up being the... Uh, uh, be, being the uh, singles off of this. And I was very happy that uh, the two books that I read to prepare for this made the same comparison that John Paul Jones is the Mike Mills of Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. It does. Um, yeah, the yeah. Um, and the strings here don't contribute to feeling overproduced, which is no. the big problem with strings. Right. Right. Like bring in the strings like a lot of times like, OK, guys, you know, like it's not <laughs> pet sounds like, you know, but it actually works here. They're pretty understated. Mm hmm. Um, and it's interesting to have like, oh, that was a person who did that. And this is why that sounds so good. Yes. You know, like it is a weird thing to say like, oh, John Paul Jones is a good string arrangement guy. <laughs> and I know that. And I can tell the difference between him and a bad string arrangement guy. Mm-hmm. Um, once that was all done, they ended up doing their mixing uh, in Seattle where Peter Buck eventually would live. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, there, no. there's this kind of slow di- diaspora away from Athens. Um, so Peter Buck has been kind of buying up homes <laughs> wherever yeah. they've gone. Like he bought an apartment yeah. in New York, he bought a house in New, in New Orleans, and he eventually bought a house in Seattle. And I think that's still that's still where he lives uh, to this day. Um, but um, but yeah, he uh, he moved away. We're going to find out that uh, Bill Barry has also moved out of Athens. Uh, like bought a farm, not bought the farm, like a lot of people thought yeah. he would, but um, bought a farm. But a farm where eventually he will live. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so initially, you know, this was kind of a risk. Uh, uh, you know, they were, they always put out work that they're, you know, they're, they're proud of. At least in the um, moment. after two years, yeah. they turn on and say it's the worst thing. Yeah. They, they, they end up getting very dismissive, but at least initially, you know, they like the, the things they've done. Um, but they're a little worried about this, you know, at least as far as the reception, just because it was like, you know, it's their second super sleepy acoustic number and nothing goes over 100 BPM right. on the whole record. <laughs> and uh, and they're just like, oh, you know, we might sell a couple million. We're not going to really sell anything. And instead it went like quadruple platinum yeah, and double platinum in two months and uh, triple platinum in Australia and like sextuple platinum in uh, Britain. Yeah. It's like ridiculous. Like, and those are those are millions of units sold. Like every <laughs> platinum, that's the conversion chart. Like right, right. a platinum is a million records. Yeah. So... I mean, obviously, their most successful thing to date, and I think Monster only like barely outsold it. Yeah, yeah, um, and it was critically received very well as well. Like, you know, people were lauding this as you know them at the height of their powers, and like it was to the point where like even Peter Buck was like, we're, "We might need to break up the band because I don't know that we can do better than this in terms of like actual, um, let's say, objective measures of success, either critical acclaim or money." Yes. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about monsters selling better because like critically, uh, and this is not me dragging monster into it and doing monster thoughts, but like critically, this is considered a better album than monster. Like yes. monster doesn't have the best critical reputation. If that outsold this, it's a tour, like an entire, the biggest tour they've ever done mm-hmm. supported it. Yeah. And you sell a lot of records at a tour and mm-hmm. you sell a lot of records in advance of a tour. Like that, that is one reason you go on tour Yeah. Um, is to sell records. So like that, you know, without that tour, I would be surprised if it was the same. You yeah. know, that album was well received, but this is on a different scale as far as like reception yeah. and kind of, and especially like kind of its place in history. Mm-hmm. Like this pops up, you know, and I say this as somebody who's kind of a loop, you know, Fairweather fan of this album, but mm-hmm. like this comes up a lot. Yes. Uh, you know, from the band, from other people that this is the prestige record. Yeah. Like they made jokes about it on Park and Parks and Rec. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's definitely definitely on there um their gambit and going with um and going with warner uh for for you know their label after they left irs kind of paid off at this point um they gotten a lot of distribution on on green and out of time but like it (laughs) warner's international arm was so strong that they actually ended up selling more in britain than they did in the u.s so like this is an inversion that i think is going to hold true for the rest of rem's career as a you know as a band that is working together and releasing albums Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so REM about town, you know, that this obviously hugely successful. There's no tour to talk about, but they, they did really well uh, with the band. Um, yes. This is kind of when these ugly rumors started coming out that Michael Stipe had uh, AIDS or cancer or was going to star in powder to uh, <laughs> back from the attic or, or something like that. Like <laughs> but, but, but powder two strikes again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just because he is like a, a super like waifishly thin, you know, and he is when he had very short hair mm-hmm. and he's kind of like, 
not going bald gracefully here, which he would fully embrace with Monster mm-hmm. when he first shaved his head. But this is when he was, uh, you know, same thing happened to Billy Corgan. Right, Where right. his hair was kind of thinning out, and it kind of looks like he's sickly, but really it's just male pattern baldness. Right, right. And he's always been gangly. He's always been, um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's always, yeah, he's always been a little bit reclusive. Um, that went to kind of 10 with this, though, when he decided, yeah, I'm not going to be the face of this. I'm not going to do any interviews. I'm just not going to kind of appear in public at all. So people thought that he was, like, sick and dying in bed while everybody else was touring to support this album. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, they weren't touring. They were, like, doing I mean, then, Yeah, so I guess, I guess that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, like out there, you know, talking to people in a way that Michael's dive wasn't. Um, and I think that, uh, like, it was, it was, like, so Bill Berry didn't go out either. And so it was just Buck and Mills, you know, out there saying, like, hey, guys, buy this. I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, fighting crime. <laughs> the, um, and, and this was, uh, you know, it, it's hard to, you know, for people today and for people younger than uh, than me. And I don't know how much this was a thing when you were growing up. But do you remember, like, when AIDS was everywhere as a thing, like doing like AIDS units in school, yeah. seeing ads for AIDS, like, you know, and I'm not saying I'm not saying this to minimize AIDS at all. Like, it has gotten much more treatable. Like, it is objectively less of a big deal now in America right. with that you know big caveat um, than it was because it is more treatable. It's not necessarily a death sentence. At the time, like, AIDS was everywhere. Yeah, uh, and and that's why people were just like, oh, Michael Stipe's got AIDS. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, he's, he seems like he's probably kind of queer. He's got AIDS, you know, and that mm. that was what people thought. Yeah. The, uh, going into the, it. The, this was fueled by the British tabloids as well. Like, yeah. like, like that was the primary engine for this. And nobody knows exactly where it where, where, where it came came forward. Um, I was at the tail end of that. Like we did AIDS units all through high school um, in addition to like regular STD kind of things. But I kind of missed. You know, I was I was 14 when 9-11 happened. So like the, yeah. the, the the big fear that would strike and define my, you know, our generation's entire outlook um, shifted over like right at the most vulnerable time. So yeah. like it's never been the pandemic or the plague, uh, definitely not kind of the, the, the sweeping cultural force or boogeyman. Uh, for me, that it you know that that it was even for for you, somebody who was born. Yeah, for me, like yeah, it, it know, very much was for me. Yeah. Like growing up, like I was, you know, like by the time nine eleven happened, I was like, Psh. <laughs> <laughs> I lived through AIDS as a virgin. I got the battle. Well, I don't have the battle scars, but the um, you know, but that that was the thing I was supposed to be scared of. Right. right. Um. So, you know, obviously it came out and this kind of they decided mostly just to not address this. Right. Which I think is kind of ballsy. Like there's no denials or anything. And it was very smart because they realized like, like oh, if I do a press conference, it'd be like, I don't have AIDS. Everyone's going to be like, oh, what's he hiding? You know, he protests too much. <laughs> right. So they're just yeah. like, this is this does not. They literally said and this is like something that I, I want to get better at. Like everyone should get better at, especially in online communication. Like mm-hmm. if something doesn't dignify a response, actually don't respond to it. Right, right. Like, he did the equivalent of mute and move on. Mm-hmm. The uh, like the, there were a couple times where you know Mills or Buck were asked about this, and they're like, oh, don't, "Don't be, don't be fucking kidding me!" <laughs> like <laughs> um, they, you know, they, they 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 expressed kind of indignation at it. Which you know, who knows? Like, just r- rumors are fucking crazy, and they do not actually respond to you know fact, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's no real way to deny somebody who is doesn't actually care what you think. Right. You know, yeah. like if, if the idea is, you know, hey, like if they're not actually asking, mm-hmm. you know, they, they've already made up their mind. Right, right. 
um this had the uh the effect of you know right as this band was getting incredibly popular um you know kind of outing him to a really large audience it was kind of a hey nobody really talks about this like it doesn't really matter kind of uh kind of thing in the scene is the Mm -hmm. sense that i got um but you know now that they are a number one selling band um you know michael stipe who didn't want that to really be part of his story or part of his conversation kind of had questions and discussion and discussions about his sexuality and his you know sexual life um kind of forced on him you know which for somebody who's as introverted as him um is and for anybody really is a is a shitty thing to have happen to be to be inadvertently outed like that and it, and it coincides kind of with him becoming less introverted and more open about that stuff yeah. in a way that isn't just in interviews, but trickles into the work, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, in this album, not particularly in the next album, um, there are like just like songs straight up about sex, which is yeah. not really an REM thing. No, no. Like the, like the next like, album is, is straight up a response to that. Yeah. 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 So it's it, lyrically, it, it it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting response. Again, we'll get to this like, mm-hmm. uh, but it's an interesting response because it's both him owning it and distancing himself because it's their first like character based record since, uh, fables. Right. Right. Where like a lot of these songs are written from perspectives of not Michael Stipe because it's about mm-hmm. identity and distance, but it's also about Dick and like <laughs> having a Dick doing things with dicks, like yep. dicks all bound. Um, and he kind of does both. Like the lyrics to that are very easy to trace based on what's coming out of his life. Mm hmm. You know, what's happening in Michael Stipe's life? <laughs> right. Dick, Kurt yeah. Cobain died, and identity <laughs> issues. Let's make an album about it, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, th- these rumors were kind of fueled by the fact that a lot of the songs on Automatic for the People are about death and mortality and yeah. passage are kind of yes. the three the three watchwords for this. Um, yeah. And it was also made incredibly, uh, it was, uh, you know, some gasoline was thrown on the fire um by the way that freddie mercury handled his aids diagnosis and his passing um yes. by the, by denying it up until like literally the day the day that he died in uh what was it 1991 or 1992 so yeah. like like the, the it was this it was this weird kind of uh stars lining up kind of thing yes yeah um so the uh uh the band is still political this is an election year so they ended up like kind of working with uh, the Clinton campaign and Al Gore and uh, Al Gore at a, at a rally quotes them uh, kind of <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he, he uses. So, so, so he, he, he read a one sheet with a couple of bullet points about this band Yes, <laughs> and gets up in front of a, uh, in front of a rally in Georgia and says, George Bush is out of time and Bill Clinton and Al Gore are automatic for the people. And then I scream, "Out of Time's a better album from, <laughs> yeah, from the audience, yep. and it ruins his whole point. And, and Bush gets elected. Yep, and then I scream, actually, um, Automatic for the People hasn't proven to be a, a bestseller yet, so what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> out of Time is the biggest thing in the entire world. Yeah. Have you heard Losing My Religion, sir? <laughs> the, uh, like, and, uh, you know, you got in the notes that, like, Peter Buck was just like, I'm not, this is ridiculous because Tipper Gore is a monster, mm-hmm. uh, not a monster, but like Tipper Gore sucks. Yeah. Tipper and, Gore was, uh, I mean, she, she was the person who was running like the crusade against, uh, specifically like rap music and, art. uh, and like, and, and, th- and thrash trying to get the, uh, saying like, Oh, just put these voluntary labels on and then we can pass legislation against it. It was like just yeah. real, it was a real kind of like witch on kind of thing. Um, in the, uh, in the oral history books, there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of these Athens folk. Um, who had that attitude too. And it's amazing how this uh, like echoes right now. 
Mm-hmm. Like there's all these people who are just like, yeah, you can't support them. Like they're monsters. And like Michael Stipe, who is closer to my opinion about it as like, you know, not a centrist, but a pragmat, you know, more pragmatic person is just mm-hmm. like, Hey, like it or not, I have this power. Mm-hmm. This is the most practical thing to do. Yeah. Like people will do what I tell them to do, mm-hmm. like whatever, right, wrong or whatever. Like yeah. that's just the truth of the matter is I have this power. Yeah. Uh, you know, George Bush would be a nightmare. Yep. We can't have Reagan term four. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let me get these, these compromises in, right. you know, and I will, I will endorse them and with my full support because otherwise, you know, and it's like, wow, that's, that's wow. You know, that, that is so prescient to what's happening now, what just happened in 2016 and, uh, and, and even, you know, discussions and stuff I see today, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, man, these are, that's why these are my boys because it's not like, I'm sure that Michael Stipe is not like into the Clintons, right? you know, but the alternative was like literal Hellmouth. <laughs> so, and, and Hellmouth, 1992 Hellmouth, which was not a Hellmouth. No. It was like a heck mouth. <laughs> and then now we're in hell now. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know. yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the nightmare zone was just a blip on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. No, this this was like the, the, you know, the slightly bad, like the sleeping well with indigestion zone. And now we're <laughs> the actual, like literal nightmare realm. So, yeah. Yeah. So I can understand like music people, like it, it's totally on brand for Peter Buck to say, fuck you to anything related to Tipper Gore, no matter how, how much he agreed that Bush was shitty. And like Peter, yeah. P- Peter Buck was, uh, c- let's say, uh, uh, complicit in Ignoreland. So he's not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't disagree with Michael Stipe. Yeah. No, he's, he's still with it. He's, I mean, there's Peter Buck. Like, it's funny because Michael Stipe is the one who has the reputation for like, this kind of wearing a mask and like this character hood and stuff, you know, but Peter Buck does that just as much. Oh yeah. Like, you know, like I'm gonna wear pajamas this year. Like he's, <laughs> he's such a, like he's, he's a secret Mike Mill or Michael Stipe. Yeah. You know, he's just a different flavor of it. They're both two sides of the same coin as far as like trying on identities and, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, being very careful about how they present themselves. Yeah. Being, you know? <laughs> being very self-conscious. Full self. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and in a non-loaded way, you know, and in a, a very specific to what those words mean way, not like how we commonly use self-conscious, which is just like, I feel kind of bad because mm-hmm. I'm the center of attention. Yeah. Like very conscious of their self, mm-hmm. you know, at, at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the rhythm sections over there talking about who's going to do good in the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's very cute, you know, and it, <laughs> it takes all kinds. Like I love Peter Buck. I love Michael Stipe. Right. Uh, you know, I feel I'm most I'm mostly okay with Bill Berry. Like I, I don't have any particularly strong feelings about Bill Berry one way or another. I'm a well I'm a well wisher insofar as I wish him no particular harm. Yeah, like, you know, and then but Mike Mills is obviously the special boy, right? As far as this goes. Um, uh, yeah, I talk about basketball with Mike Mills. Um, I don't even like basketball, no, and I would be like, but I would well, do can, it. You, can you teach me about basketball? I'd be like, well, sure. Uh, the game started, and he would just kind of slowly explain to me what basketball was. <laughs> he, he would use he would use salt salt and pepper shakers to like show movements yeah. on the on the court, <laughs> and I would be wrapped. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> um, so, kind of closing out one of the political sagas. Uh, out of time, as we talked about, the packaging was used to uh, to petition um, the uh, the Congress to get the to, to get this act passed, the Motor Voter Bill. Uh, to allow people to register to vote at uh, uh, the DMV when they get their driver's license. Mm-hmm. Can you um, remember a time when politicians wanted people to be able to vote? Those are the days. Jesus. Um, <laughs> so we talked about Peter Buck's bad time. Yeah. Um, super depressed, you know, thought like the band like is probably is run its course. Spent a bunch of time in Mexico, just kind of like his weird lost 
half year. Yeah, you know, got divorced, yeah. got fat. Um, it was a bad time for for Peter Buck. Mm-hmm. Um, but he ended up meeting his new wife, uh, Stephanie. Yes. And uh, they they went on safari. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they went on so <laughs> again. They went on an African safari. It's pretty cute, but also, um, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very strange. Does that still he's, happen? He's trying on like he's trying on his 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 rock band. Yeah. I've got a so since this is um, the last album that has the oral history, I've got one last uh, specific cute story that's okay. related to Peter Buck during this time. Okay, um, from John Wesley Harding, uh, Wesley Harding, who's I guess you know, a friend of the band. Um, he's talking about Peter. Peter uh, Buck is a very generous and relaxed person. In 1993, um, he was producing a record for his best friend, who's a folk singer named David Lewis. Um, and uh, it wasn't on a label or anything like that, so it's like a home studio thing. Right. Um, Peter gives him a call and says like, Hey, I'm going to be in town. Um, I'm visiting from Seattle with my girlfriend who was Stephanie at the time. Um, you know, what do you, uh, you know, can we do you want to hang out and stuff? And he's like, well, I'm recording this album. Um, and this guy, John Wesley Harding as a favor to his friend, who is a huge REM fan, mm-hmm. who's making this thing said, Hey, like it would blow this guy's mind if you played on this record. <laughs> uh, and Peter's like, yep. And they spent <laughs> all night with him playing mandolin. Uh, and, this guy, like Peter Buck, guested on this unprodu- you know, unlabeled, just home recording. Mm-hmm. This guy did, like, and can you imagine, like, I'm gonna cut my friend who has like a a reel to reel is gonna cut some songs with me, <laughs> and then Peter Buck shows up to guest on your album. <laughs> um, and he just says that's the kind of guy who he was. Like, he would just yeah. kind of do do that kind of thing. Um, yeah, very very cute. Yeah, uh, I, I I really like that story. And the the end, the the kind of kicker to it is uh, the folk singer being like, yeah, you know, I, we did that thing and it was, it was really amazing, but I feel like my vocals, you know, weren't that great. I wasn't super happy. And then uh, his friend being like, yeah, but we're probably going to keep that take, you know, cause it's the one that it was like all live takes. It's the one right. that like, you know, uh, this, this REM, you know, this music yeah. legend uh, kind of guessed it on. Yeah. So, so in the first episode, I made that joke that like uh, it, for, for a certain kind of band, Peter Buck just kind of came with the studio. Yeah. Um, like you can interpret that as a band is all kinds of bands. Right. Right. But but just like when I, when I made the joke, I was thinking more about like indie bands in the two thousands. Right. Um, but like you could, you can interpret that as being like, Oh, he was incredibly mercenary and he was just out there, you know, getting his name out, blah, blah, blah. No, that really wasn't the case. Like the sense that I get is that Peter Buck just really liked playing music with new people. Yeah. It was, it's definitely not, um, a thing where he was doing it for self-promotion because he was already there, right. you know, like, what, like what, do, what does he need to promote? Mm-hmm. You know, like he's, he's, he's there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's not serving him. It's serving whoever he's appearing on, right. on their album much more. Right. So, yeah. Um, very, very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, uh, Mike Mills, uh, joined the backbeat band perform music for, a, for a biopic of, uh, Stu Sutcliffe. Yes. The fifth Beatle. Yes, the Beatle, the mm-hmm. uh, the sad Beatle. Yes. Um, Michael Stipe performed with uh, Ten Thousand Maniacs when they were on tour. Mm-hmm. Nothing, um, nothing was, unusual there. Yeah, he's he's sung on a bunch of different things, and they're they're great friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then as we mentioned before, Bill Berry moved out of Athens and he bought his farm. Um, and that was that was how how he decided to spend his time away from REM was kind of again connecting with the earth, foreshadowing. Yes. He, he spent his time foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. uh, he had a couple of practice aneurysms. <laughs> oh, <geez>. oh, no. <laughs> Cracked open a six pack of Pracky boys when it comes to, to blood vessels in his brain. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, 
Oh, God, I am so terrified of aneurysms, Gary. Yeah, it, it sucks. Like, it just can't happen anytime. Like, yeah. any of those things, like congenital heart failure, like these yeah. things that you just can't screen for that just might happen. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so let's get into the record. Yeah. Um, this opens up with a song that I really like and that, Gary, you do not. Um, mm-hmm. On the drive side, so the sides are labeled drive and ride. Um, uh, appropriately, the first track on drive side is drive. Yeah. Yeah. The first single uh, that features nary a chorus. Yes. Yeah. It, it is a, a real um, like as much as I don't like the song very much. It is at least a thesis statement. Yes. Where we're going to have like not that the songs don't have choruses, but just kind of like, hey, this is going to be a real low tempo, real down. Like as far as just the kind of dynamic range of sounds, like very in mm-hmm. the low and mid. Yeah. And yeah. Slow album. Yes. Um, so, like, yeah. the, like this is far from a begin the begin. Um, yes. You know, this it, is the opposite of begin the begin. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, kind of st- structurally, it makes sense to me that this doesn't have a chorus because it's very repetitive, um, but not yes. repetitive in like a, uh, you know, the same thing over and over again kind of way. It's these constructions that are just kind of mixed and matched, you know, hey, kids, rock and roll, you know. Um, nobody tells yeah. you where to go, et cetera. Like it is, it is those elements kind of being used um, within different verses. Yeah. The verses are, are very similar to each other though. Yeah. Like this is one of those um, REM, like a lot. And this is something I've like kind of discovered is true of the band in general is that a lot of times, like their songs do have a lot of different parts, but the parts use a lot of the same chords and kind of sound similar. So mm-hmm. they are different, but not that different. Yeah. You know? So like the different parts of drive don't sound that different to me. Hmm. Um, you know, for the most part, especially the, the kind of main, like that verse kind of thing that's happening in the beginning happens mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like it's a, know, it's but, a really, it's a really basic chord structure that they're doing yes. the D minor to I think, uh, was it G to F, uh, yeah. something like that. Uh, this is one of the first songs I learned to play on guitar actually. Oh. Um, it is a really good song for using to figure out how to get into and out of an F chord, like a bar chord. Uh, very quickly mm. and also to figure out how to do arpeggiation picks so like that continues throughout this uh, and, it, and it sticks pretty tight to you know michael stipe's vocals which have this um kind of echo applied to it it's very like spacey very reverby yeah yeah, yeah. Think, right. um and then the thing that i like about this and the thing that i think elevates it above being kind of just this you know simple mountain song that has a really political kind of tinge to it is the strings um, and is just the way that these kind of subtle arrangement elements simmer below the surface and kind of raise everything up, you know, especially as it reaches that climax toward the center uh, when the uh, uh, when the electric guitar the kind electric of kicks guitar in. in. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That, dun, 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 dun. It was, yeah. like, it's Peter Buck playing that like overdubbed with a nickel to make it sound like really, uh, you know, it's just like a lightning bolt. Like, hitting yeah, it. kind of dirty. Yeah. Yeah. And then like. That's the that's the moment of the song I like, mm-hmm. you know, like that's but it's I think the the difference like where the reason why I fall down on it or don't come down on it is it just it it ends up not being worth it to get there. Oh. Like the things that happen before that are are it's too uh, too samey and too uh, too non dynamic hmm. to get to that point. And the song is like five minutes long. Yeah, like that's it, uh, it, that's it, no good. It could have it could have definitely used like three fewer uh, chorus verses or whatever it was. Yeah. And the the kind of political part of it, like, or the the lyric element of it, like, I feel like it's a, it does something that I don't like in songs where I feel like it's engaging in like, um, like kind of like a real obvious irony, mm-hmm. you know, these kind of upbeat lyrics that he's kind of just letting fall out of his mouth, 
to to you know slow music. Oh, I don't I don't hear any irony in it at all. Because it it doesn't uh, or like the it's like hey kids rock and roll nobody like that's a that's like a punk lyric mm-hmm. and playing that is over very very slow kind of plotting music is not a punk uh, like musical construction is what I mean by the, yeah, the irony okay okay yeah like it's it's a you know not any irony in in the lyrics but irony in the contrast between the content of the lyrics and the delivery mm-hmm. of the lyrics and that's like something where it's like. You can get away with that. It's not my favorite, like, yeah, like a trick is the wrong word. You know what I mean? Like, it's not my favorite, like, method or approach mm-hmm. to things. Um, and there's and there's also just, like, there's not quite enough words for the song for how long it is. Yeah. Like, there yeah. are lots of phrases that repeat. Like, yeah, it's it's more, it's, I mean, it's it's a little bit like a like a beat poetry kind of thing, almost. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like he, this is Stipe engaging a little bit in, uh, like, voice as instrument, but specifically around, like, words that have very hard K sounds in them. Yeah. yeah. Like, kind of speak singing them. Uh, like, so, like, voice as instrument, but it yeah, still yeah. does it, like, it's the instrument is still kind of, like, yeah. very... Uh, Dy- you know non-dynamic like yeah. very like you know sings the same note a lot of times in a row yeah and this um, is and this is something again just like different different values that we have i tend to like things that are a little bit more a little bit more droney um i'm i'm, I'm good with noise if if, if, mm-hmm. if if that makes any sense what heightens this for me you know in a lot of ways is the fact that it like a lot of it is the same and you can kind of like hone in on those incredibly subtle differences um mm-hmm. you know where like by percentage like when he revisits when he revisits this phrase with a different piece of instrumentation beneath it or with a slightly different emphasis or like slightly lifting it higher like that that lands to me um in a way that makes it uh resonate as something bigger and new mm. yeah yeah and and just to clarify it's not the noise part like i like noise quite a bit yeah. it's it's the repetition that i don't like yeah, yeah. like repetition and lack of dynamism mm-hmm. dynamism dynamism D- dynamism 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 like the the just like you know that kind of like being in a very narrow sonic space mm-hmm. for this long is just like never going to work for me. Yeah. Um. But you know I don't I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. You know it's like it's not. Uh, uh. It was the first thing I heard from the record, and this was in peak Aria mania for me. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely kind of a slap in the face for that because I was used to these kind of big opening singles for like the last couple albums <laughs> I've been cognizant of. Right. Right. You know. And, and it's and, a, uh, it's a it's a very strange album opener. It is a bizarre first single. It's a super bizarre first single. It's a super, and they would they would actually do this to my mind with greater success in uh, in New Adventures yes. with Ebo the Letter, which is a song I like a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, the video for this is also very like not a lot happens in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a black and white video of Michael Stipe crowd surfing and kind of singing along mm-hmm. uh, to it, which is kind of interesting. But it remind for me it, it shadows kind of the song too, where it's like, mm-hmm. is this interesting for five minutes? Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I can't defend the length. Like I, I, I like it as a, uh, just kind of like a, like a piece of, I don't know. It's, it, it's frustrating when REM just kind of engages in kind of just vi- like imagery poetry or whatever it is. And they do mm-hmm. just the, 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 the random images going, you know, going off at uh, weird times and stuff. This is long and sustained. It is one big, it is, you know, it, it, like it is mainly one big thing happening. Um, but as the additional instruments come in, you get these shots from the ground level that are, uh, yeah. you know, not over top with the different, you know, people in the band. Um, and then you go back to it and just kind of playing off of those strobes as well. Like I'm, I'm kind of into it, but I can't defend the length of either the song or the video. I wonder if I would feel better about it if it wasn't a single. 
mm-hmm. or if it was on a different album. Like if I didn't feel like that kind of like some, being in a very narrow sonic space and kind of being really low tempo wasn't mm-hmm. um, like it's not my favorite thing about this record. Like it's a defining feature. Yeah. What is one of the big reasons why I don't like this record that much? Because that's just not that interesting to me. Mm-hmm. If this were on, you know, on out of time or something, mm-hmm. I might dig it, you yeah. know, because it's not that much less dynamic than, uh, you know, country feedback or you know, I mean, country feedback is pretty dynamic. What am I thinking of low? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not, it's not that much less dynamic than low and low works better for me or, mm-hmm. you know, again, or Ebo the letter, like, and I think that has to do with the album they're around and yeah. position almost too. Yeah. Like um, if, if they opened this with try not to breathe, it actually wouldn't be that, that bad. Yeah. No, no. Um, this is album. They, they talked about how they couldn't really do this live. No, like it didn't really work because of those reasons. They later figured it out. There are live versions of them doing this version, mm-hmm. um, kind of after it became a hit. But initially when they played this live, they did this kind of gang of four kind of funk version mm-hmm. of it, uh, ended up on this, uh, compilation, uh, called alternative NRG. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, it was, yeah. It and was recorded in a mix using solar power. Yes. Yes. Um, and it is an interesting version of this Yeah, that like, I don't know, like it still, it still doesn't totally work for me, but it's like, it makes sense live mm-hmm. to me. Like I could see it kind of getting you moving because it's like weirdly, like weirdly versatile song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that uh, like, version makes sense too. Yeah. I mean, just, and that goes back to the, like the, like the actual chord construction being as basic as it is. Right. Yeah. Like just the, the, the less intricacy you put at that, at that bass track, the kind of the, the more flexible you can be with it. Yeah, you could do anything with this song. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yeah, um, a much more upbeat song and one of like just a couple of beat songs on the album is uh, the next next song, uh, "Try Not to Breathe." Yes, um, uh, upbeat musically, uh, lyrically, this is fucking tragic. Yeah, super super <laughs> sad song. Um, I love this song. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, this this is this is uh, if like again when you like you accept the weird classics, you know, as we mm-hmm. do, this is probably my favorite song on the record, mm-hmm. excepting "Man on the Moon," which I think is a Another yeah, masterpiece I, class. M- much like you couldn't accept, um, oh gosh, End of the World, I cannot accept Man on the Moon. Like, that's going to be my favorite. We'll talk about Accept it. or accept? Accept. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. it's like, oh, you can't accept Man on the Moon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like whoa, this whoa. is going to be a very Fuck different a episode than you uh, thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I will not jettison yeah. Man on the Moon. Uh, off, well, I, off. I don't want to, I jettison it because it's too obvious of a first place right, song. Right, yeah. like, I'm not jettisoning it. Like, yeah. I, I, it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm calling out my second favorite yes. because yeah, it's my favorite. Yeah. Like, um, like with, you know, so the, uh, I love trying not to breathe though. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a waltz. So it's like, it sounds a little bit more lively, even though it is, you know, it's not like a fast blistering song, mm. but it's in three. So it's a little bit like kind of quicker. Yes. Um, um, and, uh, like the, the, the vocal performance on this is full of cracks. Like this is, uh, Michael Stipe and like full on, um, I don't know, like it's, it's a little bit of a continuation of like where he started in Swan Swan Hummingbird and any songs that kind of followed in that stripe. Mm, yeah. Um, and lyrically, this is very like, uh, the kind of story, the genesis of, of this, uh, is really interesting is where Peter Buck was recording this. The way he was recording it is he played very quietly and he had to have, uh, be his amp right next to the mic. Mm-hmm. And uh, the sound engineer who was recording it said, like, hey, try to be quiet. And he said, OK, I'll try not to breathe. Yeah. And uh, Michael Stipe was just like, yep. Yeah. He, like, uh, he, yeah. he heard that on the demo and he's like, there we go. I've got a concept for this. Yeah. Because the original title was a song. It was called Passion. And then initially it was Passion, parenthetical, try not to breathe. And yeah. then Passion got left off. Which is good. Because um, they already have that. Because that's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a really, really sad song about yeah. this idea of, like, killing yourself as 
So your family will remember you this way. Like you've had yeah. a full life. Mm-hmm. Like, remember me at my strength. Don't, I don't want to fade out Yeah, in front of my family. Right. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, I want to, I want to have control over my own dignity, you know, and to, um, kind of not be a burden on other people. Like this is an incredibly morose reflection on just like the indignities of age. Yes. Yeah. And he's, he dedicated it to his grandma, like live and everything. He kind of admitted that's what he was thinking about, um, later. Um, and it's, it's a very, very sweet song. Um, it is, it is really catchy. I like the way it's constructed. Electric guitar is used really well in this as well. Yes. Um, this kind of feedback, mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing comes up every once in a while for a song that doesn't rock, right, you know, it rocks right. on the, the out of time or the automatic for the people curve, but not on the real curve. Yeah. Um, no. f- feedback is used very well throughout the album. I think that is exactly the role that an electric guitar needs to have on this. Uh, yeah. On this specific record. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Um, and they're also doing something here, which, you know, we're going to see again and again, which is, you know, Michael Stipe kind of singing over himself um, in addition, mm. in addition to having, you know, the background vocals from Mills and Barry. Um, so, like, as this as this continues, you get these kind of parenthetical, you know, line extensions that are, you know, done by any, you know, done by any of the singing members of the band. They also do uh, one of those kind of overdub things is treated in a way that we'll see on Monster a lot more. Mm hmm. Like there's this kind of radio walking up, like when he sings that, that little bit mm-hmm. um, over it with this treated kind of mechanical sounding voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is, this is, I love this song. It, yeah. Like, th- I think this song is very, very good. Yeah. It's, um, it is fucking heart wrenching. Um, yeah. And heart wrenching, like, but also you can still like, you know, hum it. Like it still gets stuck in my head yes. in like a pop sense. Like, and it does yeah. that. I guess it's the, it's the good version of that irony I was talking about before where it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of upbeat sounding, but like it's actually incredibly dour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I call that the Yields trick. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. this was the, the cure. Does it too? Like it's yeah. a it's a real cure thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so a particular stripe of like indie. Um, yeah, it's um, it's definitely there. Like this is a song that I that I actually didn't like a lot when I was younger. Like mm. I, I dug the sound of it, but like it didn't resonate like it does for me. You know, coming into thirty, you know, and having relatives who are aging in a kind of not great way. So like mm-hmm. going back to and listening to it, uh, just even in the past month, like driving to and from home, actually it was kind of like a punch to the gut. In a well, way that I, I mean, expect. yeah. I mean, cause it's, a, it's such a real thing, right? So like every one of my family members who has died, like that's the hardest part of it is the, the diminished state, mm-hmm. um, you find them in like the, you know, the people, you know, uh, the, the difference would be like, uh, like my grandmother and my, my grandfather are both dead. My grandmother died. I got to see her before she died. I came to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the the hardest part was having that be my final memory of her is just kind of wrecked. Yeah. You know, as this kind of ruin. My grandfather uh, died more unexpectedly. I didn't get to see that. So the last time I saw him, he was more, like he was you know, not doing great, but was mm-hmm. like ambulatory and like not in the hospital and was not dying. Right. You know, so that's my last memory of him. And that's the the kind of difference. Yeah. And making that a, a conscious choice as opposed to just kind of an accident of fate yeah. is kind of what it's about. And that's, that's you know, that that's a very good thing to write a song about. Yeah. It's very strange to have this as kind of the triumphant kind of semi-opener after you get the, uh, the, the drive cleansing the palate so people can get into it, right? Um, you know, the song about kind of taking your life literally into your own hands – um, you know, as you're old to determine your end with dignity paired up with the most popular song in this album being about do exactly not doing that when you're yeah. young. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Suicide. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> not okay. Other times it's, it's a complicated message. Yes. Um, <laughs> so next up is uh sidewinder sleeps the night, which uh, I wish they hadn't sequenced right next to try not to breathe. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, the second side could have used this. It really, um, really and, could have. Yeah. And it, they're, they're not necessarily samey, but they have some kind of similar instrumentation to them. Mm-hmm. They're different time signatures. They sound like different songs, but it's very weird to put these as two and three. Right. The this the, this I think would have been a good like side one closer. Actually, yeah, I think um, I think so too. Like leading um, into not that the, you know side one closer is still good, yeah, but like it would have yeah. been sweet. Sweetness follows would have been yeah, yeah. like like sweetness follows would have would have been a good pair with try not to breathe actually because they're yeah. about very similar kind of stuff. Uh, do like do those as kind of like an opening suite, and then you know let it let it slide into some of the more complex stuff. As yeah. it goes. Yeah. And this this is the only thing uh, on the record that is lightweight. Yeah, I this think. is a really frivolous song. <laughs> um, I, I love this song. I think it's really, yeah, I like really good. <laughs> too. Yeah, and, and it needs to be like we talked about kind of standard REM pop songs. And uh-huh. like if any record that they've done needs one of these, like like this record needs this. I think yeah. the members of the band don't like it. And they yeah. were like, Oh, we wish we hadn't put it on the album and stuff. And I'm like, are you, are you <laughs> kidding? Like if, if try not to breathe is the, the most upbeat thing, <laughs> you were going to put this on and not it and, and leave, you know, take this out and leave ignore land. And okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. okay well, that reveals, yeah. that, reveals <laughs> that, yeah. that actually tells a story, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. that's unfortunate. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, I'm glad that somebody argued you out of that. Cause <laughs> yeah um uh but this is a song that kind of like opens up with michael stipe doing a straight up like lion sleeps tonight kind of vocal thing i'm not going to try and do it because i don't really have a falsetto um that i can call up on demand um but that is kind of not unintentional they had covered the lion sleeps tonight a song everybody knows um before and they actually I, like, actually that's that's different uh it, it, like so I, at least i, the, I could the, swear the, they had done it live like as an acapella like goofy thing maybe yeah uh I, I don't know. I, 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 I couldn't. I, read, I couldn't find a version of it. Yeah, I think I read that in one of my books. That just kind of like, yeah, they had like they had, they had, they had had a history of doing this, and also, um, you know, like an affection for the song in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they it's uh, they didn't record the version of the song until after this, right? right. After they'd written this, so like yeah. the story is kind of weird. Where like they had this thing they wanted to do, they were like, oh, we could probably change it and get away with it. Let's not do that. Let's contact the people who did the Lion Sleeps Tonight. Um, the Lion Sleeps Tonight people said. Um, we don't work on charge you, but I think it'd be cool if you covered our song mm-hmm. and they made it a B side, which gave them royalties. And then also, you know, was a nice little compromise because they genuinely do like that song. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, like there's a quote, like we never would have agreed to cover it if we didn't like it. Like, like, like that yeah. we would have just left the song off the album. We had others that we could have done. Yeah. Um, and like yeah. for as much as there are those similarities in the title and then also the kind of the falsetto, the fa- the falsetto uh, kind of riff that they do. Um, that's really where it ends. <laughs> yeah, it's not actually very much of a, a version of no. You know, it doesn't have that much to do with Lion Sleeps Tonight. Um, instead, it's this kind of just a uh, song uh, about kind of a sketch of communication and using the phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, specifically, you know, um, how you uh, when you call a phone, you wake it up. You know, mm-hmm. like are you going to call this thing? I it can't. You know, I'm on a payphone. I can't actually. Get a whole, you know, you have to actually call me mm-hmm. on this thing. Um, there's like a great little bit, uh, and I, I, I hate genius.com, 
but the um, <laughs> that I never it, it figured something out for me. And the the biggest thing about Genius.com is when you look at them for things that are really obvious. Oh yeah, yeah. like the Genius.com for night swimming is one of the stupidest pages <laughs> on the internet. Yep. No, I, I've, <laughs> trust me, I've, I've got all of these songs open in tabs. I know exactly what you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, that, that's ridiculous. But this thing where he's like, you know, try to. Uh, there's some clever wordplay where it's like, mm-hmm. call me and try to wake up. You know, the sidewinder sleeps in a coil mm-hmm. and the, the genius uh, over at genius said like the coil is the phone cord. Yep. Um, you know, and I'm like, Oh, that's like, that's pretty good. Like that's a mm-hmm. nice little, uh, you know, bit of double wordplay. And um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a good catch. Yeah. And, but the song ends up actually being very, very simple mm-hmm. uh, because of that. Like it's just kind of this little, little picture. Yeah. Um, there, you know, they're like the, the, this machine can only swallow money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that's great. Like I, I, you know, I love the, uh, the chorus in this for as much, like it's, it's kind of like almost like a, like a police trick almost where like, Mm. Hey, you've got this, you've got this long, this long phrase that you You want to fit in. Planting a weapon on someone you shot. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and or, yeah. So, (laughs) and then working with the DA on the sly. Yeah. (laughs) No, like, uh, like sting. Um, you know, like, so, so the chorus is call me when you try to wake her up. But uh, Michael Stipe kind of delivers this almost like the, as this kind of like weird patois chant. So, come try to wake her up. Yeah. Come, it, yeah. It says it really, really quick. And then the back of vocals do a kind of more relaxed version. Yeah. You know, afterwards, allowing you to kind of pick it up. Um, but it's, it's a widely misunderstood mm-hmm. lyric. Um, it's not totally comprehensible. It doesn't need to be. No. You know, this no. is another like voices instrument kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then there's uh, kind of a bit of this where that's kind of another one of those apocryphal like shows up in every REM book mm-hmm. about Michael Stipe doing a line in this where he talks about a reading from Dr. Seuss mm-hmm. uh, and kind of laughing on the recording. And the reason why is because every time he said it, it sounded like Dr. Zeus mm-hmm. and uh, Mike Mills was goofing on him and trying to get him to say it right. And he couldn't. Yeah. Uh, and Dr. Zeus is a very funny uh, idea. <laughs> so who yeah, can blame it's, him? It's, it's pretty good. I mean, like, and we've run into this in our five hour recording sessions. We will say something incorrectly and just start laughing. You know, yeah, that, that gets like cut out. Or, it doesn't. We we still use yeah. it like REM does. But it's like, a gift. Yeah, <laughs> like if you, it, that that's you know if you accidentally say because nobody composed that. That's such a fun like <laughs> idea. You know, like yeah. you just say something wrong and it like sounds funny on its own and like yeah, you it get, just happened. Uh, you get loopy. You know, same thing happened yeah. uh, for for me all the time. I like play practices in high school. You know, yeah. like just everybody like uh, you know <laughs> we were all about to break and just it, it's a gift that we just need to like laugh about this bit of unintentional poetry that happened here so like i'm I, like I, I read that story and like i hear that in the recording it's like <laughs> that's great yeah it's it's very like i think that it's a, kind of a mark of not maturity but like i just appreciate the person who rolls with that kind of thing rather mm-hmm. than being like you know there, there's a version of me when i was younger and more self-conscious and there are people out there who get like very mad at themselves mm-hmm. for fucking that up and it's like like when you realize that the stakes for almost everything are actually pretty low, <laughs> right? You know uh, that, that being that being in trouble is a fake idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that you know none of uh, entertainment is not saving lives, you know, uh-huh. in any kind of way that is meaningful. Like you doing this isn't going to be somebody dying. Uh, we'll, we'll wait till the next song, Gary. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's that's true. That's when they decided to uh, to take care of it. Take care of all the suicides <laughs> to solve that problem once and for all. Yeah, suicide ended by REM. Yeah, um, um, but yeah, Sidewinder Sleep Site. There's a video we should mention, even though it's a footnote, and we're gonna make it a footnote. Oh yeah, um, it's just it, it's kind of like some weird camera tricks and rotating in these weird kind of colored rooms and yeah, yeah, it's like paper just a walls. performance video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, yeah. and it's Michael Stipe in a regrettable hat. I'm very happy that he decided to embrace his baldness. 
man, I'm glad he decided to embrace his baldness. I'm glad that Peter Buck got out of his vest phase. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of like he 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 saw the losing my religion video. I was like, oh, it's kind of snazzy, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just gonna keep doing that. It's like, buddy. And Tyler um, was like. <laughs> Mike Mills is on the phone to Tarsum. Please, Tarsum, you have to talk to him. Tell him, <laughs> tell, tell him that vests aren't always clothed. Yeah. Uh, how often do you think uh, Peter Buck has left the house just wearing a vest and pants and no shirt under it? Like, like he, north he of goes, 20, right? He goes full on Starburns. Um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I think north of 20 is probably the correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually accidentally because you know you sometimes you wear clothes that you're comfortable with in the house and you you, st- you step out to go to the corner store you know yeah i walk to the store in my slippers frequently oh yeah I, I specifically bought <laughs> i specifically bought hard sole slippers so i could do that yeah <laughs> um let's talk about uh how overrated and overplayed everybody hurts is oh jesus um yeah i was very happy to hear you guys so you, you and brayton uh who people will recognize check out comrades brayton yeah check it out comrades brayton and they will also recognize him from the uh from the kind of controversial um uh section in last in the last episode about a radio song people kind of came out of the work, woodwork to really like radio song just like i like radio song like, <laughs> well, got, got a couple of emails about it and they included in the next letter section <laughs> yeah do they say why no yeah, why? Why don't they do that? Why? Don't... It's obvious. <laughs> well, like the like the like the obvious, like the the, the part that that need that just needs to go on set is like, okay, cool. I'm happy you like yeah. it. <laughs> I wouldn't take. Well, it yeah, away. I mean, it's not that. You, I mean, you don't have to justify yourself to us, but like, no. you know, if you're gonna write a letter, yeah, um, let us know. Yeah, <laughs> um, but anyway, so we 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 dunked on Radio Song a bunch. We yeah, we dunked on Radio Song, and you guys did a, a Teenage Dirtbags episode about the video for Everybody Hurts, and also I was I was very kind of relieved uh, to hear that uh, you were not that crazy about it as a as as a song because even though I think they went into this with the best of intentions, and there are some kind of cool moments in it um again with the with the strings and 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 some of michael stipe's vocal performance um this is really misguided yeah i i think so too like you know and it's gonna be hard to top this for you know the summer of glum you know that the the teenage dirtbags for this year Mm -hmm. when you get done with summer jam season and start doing songs about suicide and death (laughs) afterwards like this is this is kind of like i feel like the the apotheosis of like this this kind of bummer songs yeah yeah like it's a hopeful message but it's so uh plotting and it's so simple yeah it's like a, it's, the, it's, it's so incredibly locked in yeah um, yeah is, it's is very yeah very lockstep yeah. very predictable like it, it's like they set out to make a song and they did mm-hmm. like they set out to make a song that would be like easy to understand in every possible way you know like hey we're talking to a seventh right. grader you know yes yeah they specifically said like hey we're talking as teens like we don't want teens to kill themselves like let's make something teens can understand there's a peter buck quote where he's like yeah you can't make a song where you have to like pretty much solve a math equation to get it for teens and i'm like you gotta give teens a little bit more credit yeah, buddy. Yeah. like I, like i was a teenager when i heard this and i thought this was fucking baby music like yeah. like the like the, is, and also as, as as a teenager the most annoying thing in the world aside yes. from being interrupted was being underestimated yeah absolutely like somebody condescending to you as a teen and being like oh like can you figure that out? like that was the worst especially you know if you are a suicidal teen which like you're more likely to want to kill yourself if you're kind of smart yeah um you know that's science bears that out like Mm -hmm. it's not uh that's not me being flip like you know it is it is a creative and smart people who tend to be more depressed right um so like 
this this is this is kind of misguided in every way and is so long. <laughs> like every every song on this album needs to be about twenty percent shorter. Yep. Um, this one needs to be like forty percent shorter. Like yep. this is like a five and a half minute song, and this could be three minutes and still feel long. Yes. Um. <sighs> yeah. What a it's, bummer. It, it, it definitely it, it it certainly is a bummer. And you know, like I'm I'm super sympathetic to the message. You know, I I battle depression to this day. You know. That battle, mm. whatever. It's not like I've got a fucking shield and sword. But like, yeah. even back as a teen, when I was in the when I was in the audience and listening to this, because like, fuck yeah, I love Man on the Moon. I'm going to listen to this whole album. You know, this is a single that I've heard. Everybody hurts us. Like, no, it mm-hmm. just didn't. It didn't speak. It, it it didn't carry. And instead, it became kind of this just this shorthand for the shorthand in in other media for like, okay, now you have to have sympathy for whoever's on screen at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. It, it is so direct. Yeah. Uh, in a way. And that's something that like I like even on the Gary curve where I'm like generally not super into that. Like I feel like that's something you had to deploy tactically. Yeah. This thing is so direct from front to back uh, as just kind of like it might as well just be called like, hey, don't kill yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and it's uh, again, like you said, like sympath- sympathetic to the, the motivation. Yeah. And um, like at, at this point, after we after we've done a little bit of dunking it's probably worth saying like if this song made you feel good in a particularly vulnerable or dark moment great <laughs> yeah yeah like, i wouldn't i wouldn't take that away from you like no, i'm no. just i'm and, just and speaking also, to my look, reaction I, I, like i don't look down on you for that like if uh, like me, me saying hey this is a, like this uh, this sounds like a like an ineffective thing to me doesn't mean that like oh there's something wrong with you if you found if you found solace in it because you know like any of these messages it could have gotten to the right person at the right time yeah, solace is solace. Yeah. You know, and like I've taken solace from silly shit. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> I just for my specific values, which is all I can speak to you, uh, this song is very contrary to them. Yeah. You know, that kind of directness, that kind of being pandered to, uh, I have a very visceral reaction against. Yeah. Um, you know, don't try to make me feel something. <laughs> you know, or I mean like do that, but just like yeah. I guess, you know, songs do that. But I guess like I would rather come to something on my own. Like don't meet me 95% of the way there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't need that. Like, you know, I want to do a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. And just like musically, like even if you, you know, even if this was just Michael Stipe, you know, doing, you know, s- singing Simlish over the actual song itself, um, I wouldn't be that into it because it is just this, you know, eighth note arpeggiation of a couple of, the, a, a couple of basic chords with mm. nothing really happening on the bass and like the drum is just a drum machine. Like even though this is a yeah. Bill Berry joint, he doesn't really appear on it aside from like I, a couple of incidental instruments. I think that's why it's the composition and the the kind of chord progressions are so simple and, mm-hmm. and basic. This yeah. is like written by somebody, you know, who is not like, it's got that naivete that they've used to good effect. We talked about in the last couple of records yeah. uh, here where it's just kind of like, Oh, like this is kind of baby's first sad song. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it's if it's not your first instrument. Yeah, I, I I think this is really a bummer and I never need to hear it again. Yeah. Like it was so inescapable the year it came out. Like never. Like I yeah. will be happy if I never hear this again in my life. And that doesn't mean I don't want the Wishmaster to come kill me now. Because like I haven't heard it in a while. <laughs> right. and like yeah. and that's how that articulates. But I mean like I want to live to a ripe old age yeah. until I start trying not to breathe. But in that time, not having heard everybody hurts. Yeah. And after that, sweetness follows as long as Monty doesn't get a raw deal. Like it is <laughs> like yeah. it, it'll all work out. 
But like, you know, like there were stories about this kind of becoming like I, I think in the book that I was reading, you know, the book that w- would eventually become Perfect Circle, Remarks Remembered, it's very complicated. Um, they were talking about like this was used. It was played after like a moment of silence after a mass shooting in uh, in Scotland, right, where that was mm-hmm. just not heard of. It's like in 1996, like, hey, moment of silence on the radio. And then let's just let's just cut out of that with everybody hurts. And like mm-hmm. later on, this would end up, this would end up being paired with Let Me In. Uh, which again mm-hmm. is like super super on the nose about that. Like, I like there's just something there's oh, something I, I that think I let that me in is much better. Like that, we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're we're gonna get to that. But like, let let me in is a song about you know like directly entreating Kurt Cobain not to kill himself, and then like in encores following that with everybody hurts. Like it just it feels incredibly flip, and I know that they do not like they're not intentionally trying to treat the subject matter lightly. You know, no. But it, they are they are worlds apart as far as qualities go. One yeah, of them is yeah. a specific relatable thing that you're allowed to draw your own conclusions from, mm-hmm. and feels personal. This feels weirdly distant and commercial, yeah. and calculated in a way that it shouldn't for something with this kind of message. Yeah. Not not to exceed um, my nine eleven references quota, but like this this was also played all the time in the aftermath and in the like the like the tributes and stuff after that. Yeah, um, like it just it just became this again this shorthand for like okay now everybody feels sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I and I, I I dislike that yeah. quite a bit. Um, the the book the uh, song by song book I have mm-hmm. has a little cute bit where it says when playing live Mike Mills is even given to kicking away his piano stand during the chorus. <laughs> it's like oh, <laughs> what a rocker! Uh, <laughs> like, what, what a he's really letting loose. Yeah, well, um, like so the, like that moment when uh, when Stipe starts singing the don't don't throw your hand, yeah. like and like and it is that really plaintive yell like it does feel engineered to make you to make you feel something like the rest of it does, mm-hmm. but it actually kind of works because it does just kind of like slip out out of nowhere with a swell of strings. Like it's an effective song, you know, in spite of all of my guards against it at certain points. So I can kind of see why he would do that to play it up. But like, I just, just doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that, and that, that's pretty much what i what i feel about too um the video is uh you know for a, a longer kind of moment by moment analysis like that teenager bags episode is is worth listening to yeah um it is uh people in the video like i remember when it came out liking the video um it's it, it's pretty like it's it's well shot and like well I, shot. I like the way yeah. they like work text into it even if it does end up being for a pretty goofy effect yeah you know yeah. Like just it's all these people trapped in a, a traffic jam if you've never yeah. seen it and uh, Michael and REM decides to get out of their cars and everyone gets out of their cars. Yeah. And and gets out of their cars and then Pied Pipers them off the bridge. And it ends yes. with a newscast saying, I've never seen this many people disappear. So like, so did they jump off the bridge? Because that's he, he like, them. Okay. There we go. <laughs> yeah. like, that's not a good ending. No, it, it, it's a uh, Michael Stipe brings them all into heaven. Okay. Uh, which is a contrary to the message. Yeah. He, he powders but, them. Um, yeah. He powders them up into like a live heaven. <laughs> Not dead heaven, like regular heaven. Right. <laughs> um, uh, New Orleans instrumental number one. I don't have a lot to say about. No. Um, no. Nor uh, New Orleans instrumental number two, which we'll like talk about in the B sides. But like, it is what it sounds like. It's like this electric piano. Yeah. Kind of jam thing it's, they did when they were very drunk at two a.m. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to find this quote in the song by song book, the uh, the, the the inside out. But uh, Peter Buck says, "Oh, we've never really recorded while we were drunk." And I was like, "Oh, liar! <laughs> you liar! You lie!" <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, good, good, good one, bud. Yep. Um, and this, this is you know, I, I just, this is the first time they put a full instrumental mm-hmm. uh, on there with no, no vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know that this needs to be here either. Like this feels like filler to me. It does. And yeah. in an album that needs more uh, kind of dynamic songs, like putting in something that's an instrumental version of the kind of low tempo, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like very narrow sonic space songs, like feels misguided to me. Yeah. No, um, uh, like if it was an instrumental with, a, with like a little bit of spine or if it was an instrumental that would have served um, as like an effective buffer between everybody hurts and sweetness follows. Like if it was some kind of bridge like that is a good role that an instrumental can serve, you know, on, yeah. a, on a vocal album. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't do that. Like it's pleasant. You know, I like the yeah. sound of a good electric piano, but like all I can when I listen to this, knowing how they record their stuff, all I can hear is like, oh, this is a song that didn't get finished. Yeah, I agree. And the same thing for that second, that B-side, too. Where it's like, they, you know, they, they gave a sequel to this song. Um, there's the Final Fantasy X2 of, of R.E.M. songs. Um, this The first uh, side closes out with Sweetness Follows, um, which is another, like, it actually pairs kind of well with Drive, if that was the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, in that they are both kind of, uh, like, this is kind of around this kind of very repetitious cello yeah. line that plays through most of this uh this song yeah. um i like this song better um i like sweetness follows you know okay yeah uh i don't love it but i like it it's and uh, i think that a lot of it's like the kind of the lyrics which i think are pretty good the the, the lyrics are good um yeah. in, in that they're specifically about the loss of parents you know it is like one sibling talking to another about uh losing you know losing a parent which is you know again kind of walking in a little bit of the same ground the try not to breathe is doing um I like this because of that droning kind of quality to it. Um, and I, th- mm-hmm. I think they use like fuzz and uh, feedback to really good effect in it. But like, it yeah. is, it is really uh, kind of like straight up the middle to me. Yeah. It, it's uh, one of the things that um, that drone that makes the, the drone kind of work for me, I think is that the um, lyrics are uh, in kind of a, a higher register. Oh yeah. Than, so they're not the sharing the same, like the same register. Yeah. 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 So it's like the, the, the lower part drones, but at least we have a little bit of like, you know, a little bit more space there. Um, and like, you know, the lyrics are good and this fulfills like some of the same purposes that everybody hurts does, but better mm-hmm. like this, you know, these little things that can pull you under, like that's a really like universal message too, about, about, you know, life's travails. Yeah, it's just yeah. not as direct, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a, there's an anecdote about this where Michael Stipe had to specifically call his parents and tell them that's not about them. Like this is a character <laughs> right. thing because it, it's, it's, you know, distance from the parents and blind, you know, from one parent and blind to the other one. Like it doesn't speak well of a familial relationship. No, no. It feels like it yeah. is written from an autobiographical place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, um, we, we don't really know anything about like his, <laughs> aside from like years and locations about Michael Stipe's upbringing. So yeah, it, like he's would, very close with his family, yeah. you know, so we know that like you wouldn't have this kind of relationship with them. Yeah. So, um, that, that ends that side. We move on to ride side. <laughs> y- yard ride side. <laughs> yeah. Yard side. We move on to the 50 cent ride or side. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, this, this opens up with, uh, with a song that I, that, that I like just fine. Uh, it's called uh, Monte Gata Raw Deal. Uh, this is specifically about uh, the actor Montgomery Clift, um, who was kind of like a, a, an actor in the late 40s and early 50s, like a film noir kind of guy, uh, who had a pretty tragic life. Um, he, very, well, he's a, for a long time, not so much. Like a very uh, handsome leading man. Yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of a, like 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 ha- handsome leading man, um, 
so lifelong tragedy was that he was he was homosexual um but he had to repress it because he had to live into this kind of uh, image of being a uh, you know uh kind of kind of a sex symbol for you know for 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 women um and then like toward the end he had this terrible car accident and disfigured i believe the left side of his face and so you know like he still continued to work but he had to be shot entirely from his uh, from his right side so yeah. you know this this idea of sexual identity, but also, you know, still trying to continue, um, you know, existing in the spotlight, um, you know, despite this uh, kind of, uh, you know, again, this raw deal. There we go. Yeah. Raw deal. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> he did. He, Monty did a raw dog. <laughs> it's a, yeah, that's the, the automatic for the people themed porno I'm working on <laughs> yeah. between everybody's squirts and uh, <laughs> like sweetness follows and, you know, <laughs> And man in the moon. Yeah. Man in the moon. Yeah. yeah. Night fucking. Uh, fuck me, kitten. All the, all the, the songs I do for my automatic for the people. Uh, Autoscatic for the people. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. The, um, but yeah, so I think, the, again, middle of the road, though. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Like, is pretty middle of the road. This is pretty middle of the road for me, too. Yeah. Like it's the, uh, the, I think the guitar part in this actually elevates it a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's some really interesting uh, kind of like finger picking going on uh, on the guitar it, it, it feels almost like a like a banjo part by way of an acoustic guitar i think peter yeah. buck is doing some good stuff here yeah it sounds like the song by song thing says it sounds like a little bit uh uh asian like ding 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 you know before yeah. chorus um yeah it's okay yeah um as far as like embarrassing REM songs go, I think Ignore Land is pretty embarrassing. Uh, listening to it again, it's like lyrically embarrassing, and the beginning of it is beginning of it is way worse than the actual verses. Like there are parts that sound okay. So when I was like, "Oh, Ignore Land is really embarrassing," I think that people yeah. were just like, "Oh, it's not so bad." They weren't thinking about how poorly the beginning of it ages. It, so it, and it, the, <laughs> reflex, reflex, reflex. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the, the, the call and response, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Is, is this fucking rhythm heaven? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, man, automatic for the people, rhythm heaven. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is incredibly, like, it's overtly political. They say it's the most overtly political thing they've done in interviews, but, like, you guys did document. Come on. Like, don't I yeah, think this is this, a new this, thing? This is very direct, though. Yeah. Like, this is this is so direct. Like, straight down to just, like, name-checking. Yeah. You know, people. Yeah, the, the, these bastards stole their power from the victims of the us-versus-them years. Yeah. Like, like, so, like, like Neil Young is name-checked a lot in this. And, like, this is, like... If they're they're picking the very worst Neil Young to pull from. If you if you include the word policies in your fucking lyrics, you've lost. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's a. I think this is pretty. You know, and then the the throw up on your shoes like George Bush thing. Like mm -hmm. it's very specific. Um, you know, and he admits it right. So like the end of it, like the end of the song where it's like, you know, I know this is just visceral, but I feel, vitriol, but I feel, you know, having better having screamed, don't you like it's one of those things where I think like, it's like a character standing around criticizing the plot. Does not make it? Okay. No, no. You know, like owning something doesn't automatically make it good. Right. You know? And I think that's something that's a mistake in, uh, in criticism of things where it's just like, Oh, they, they admit it. And that, that's, that's a separate issue. Like it's good that they admit <laughs> it, but it doesn't yeah. make it good. It, it's, it's like a weird inward turning form of like, what about or something like that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
um <laughs> and yeah, like i find i find this like musically and lyrically just like well the mix is fucking atrocious and the band readily admits that like yeah like it like the the, the composition um kind of portion of this was incredibly overwrought and they got a lot of like takes that were like halfway there um mm. but uh like what ultimately resulted is something that is just a fucking mess yeah and like what's what's a little bit kind of crazy about this is like ignore land is entirely obviated by rocket in the free world <laughs> oh yeah like, like, rock in the free world is a great song yeah it is and like yeah. it is so much more effective as a piece of political statement <laughs> like and like like pretty much anything from 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 freedom is actually like a lot more on point than a good deal of like rem's overtly political stuff so like this yeah. is this is a song that is kind of unnecessary i i would even say that our like overtly political rem songs tend to be a lot better than this yeah you know and part of it is just not being quite so on the nose you know, yeah. um, and, and it's not like, again, uh, it's similar to everybody hurts where I'm like, I'm not, I agree with him. Yeah. It's you know, like, like, it's like, you know, I, yeah, I, I that sucks. Like that sucks <laughs> that, that that happened. I lived through that. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, as conscious about politics as I am now mm-hmm. then, but it's like, I would be the same thing. I'd be mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the same way they are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be I, really mad about it. I, but... I, I definitely agree that the information nation took their clues from the all from the all soundbite gluttons. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I agree. You know, I agree. And and you know, why even call it America anymore? Like, it's more like ignore land. Is part of this, that title? Like, oh yeah, dorky is that fucking title? It, it, like, it's it sounds like a like like a like a weird uh, f- like name for a fashion line or something like that. Listen, like mm. what, what it calls to mind for me is like zoo York. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Or, or even like a, you know, zoo Ropa, oh, like, you know, yeah, it's like that yeah. kind of thing, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just dated in a way that, uh, I don't associate with a band of this caliber, no, you know, like, no. you know, and dorky in a way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. TV does tell a million lies. Like you're, it just feels like you're like putting on a full suit of armor and charging into battle against something everybody already hates. <laughs> nobody's on the you know, other like, side of this yeah nobody nobody it's a there's like a quote that uh Kurt Vonnegut has that i really like that i think about which is like criticizing uh short stories is like putting on a full set of armor and uh attacking a pudding <laughs> you know attacking a cup of pudding and it's like it's kind of what i think this is you know it's like it's such a obvious thing it's so it's real mm-hmm. you know it's not like an unpowerful thing but it's right. just you know i don't know it just doesn't who you're not convincing anybody and you know, I guess it's all just vitriol, and and he felt better. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's um, it, yeah, it, it seems like uh, you know, for the for the one song that will actually rock on this, it does feel like a waste. Yeah, I would I would have preferred not to not to have this, and it's not like this would have fit in on Monster either, like as a rock no, song. Like no, this, this no. I don't see where this fits in in their in their kind of career at all. Oh, like it would have been um, like they would it would have <laughs> yeah, it would have required a lot more work, but like maybe document. <laughs> yeah, like it'd be it'd be the it could possibly be the worst song on document. <laughs> like if if it tried hard. Don't give up, kid. <laughs> um, so moving on to Starmie Kitten, uh has that weird name because of and every book um will tell kind of the same story about the Rolling Stones having to change Starfucker to uh uh gosh star, what? Star. What's that? Star Star. Yeah, Star Star, there we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the book that I read uh, actually told a weirder story about this. So the last uh the last line of the song is, you know, fuck me kitten, and like this is a weirdly like rivaled song for this for this album. Uh but like they were showing it to Meg Ryan, 
you know, yeah, the actress, I, I heard the stories on my book too. Yeah. The actress, you know, who would eventually go on to be the model for Titus from Final Fantasy X, um, <laughs> and saying like, Hey, you know, we've got this album. She was touring the studio, the, the studio. Um, and like, Hey, we've got the song called fuck me kitten. I'm like, Oh, back where I'm from, you couldn't sell an album that had a song called that. And I'm like, okay, well we'll change it. But like Peter Buck, like threw a fit. Yeah. We're going to do this. So, so Meg Ryan can buy it. What are you? Tipper <laughs> Gore? The, uh, yeah. Like, and, and you know, I'm fine that they changed it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's like, it, it'd be a silly hill to die on. They didn't change yeah. the lyrics of the, in the actual song. They just changed the title. Yeah. Um, um and this is, this is, uh, so I, I have come to peace with the song. There are like the lyrics. I like there are elements of the melody. I like mm-hmm. it is so slow. I don't, I don't like, care for it one bit. It, it is it is like uh like molasses dripping down the side of like a slight incline like it yeah, is so yeah. like a uh i don't know like a like a i don't even know how to describe how slow this song is like yeah it's like, um, a, like a 60 beats it, per minute song. It's, it's it's like if somebody gave perfect circle thorazine yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's a it is so so slow and like the things i like about it so like i think the lyrics are kind of like interesting mm-hmm. in that they're like weird and abstract and he's doing this kind of thing where he matches talking about inconsequential physical objects with kind of relationship metaphors yeah yeah that i like hey love look into your glove box heart yeah yeah this is you know this uh this whole thing about and he's there's little clever bits of lyricism you know he's talking about this like you know uh making new keys for for this this heart you know for for whatever he's locking up Mm -hmm. you know and this whole repeated thing of like you know i've changed locks you can't have one Mm-hmm. You know, like that that kind of thing, which I, I like. I've changed the locks. Have I lost you? Like these these kind of things, like about changing the locks as a concrete measure of you know drawing a line under something in your life, like relationship ending. Yeah, um, I like a lot. And there are little bits of like where the the lyrics kind of crawl out of it, like the Terminator crawling out of the lava at the end of T <laughs> two. You know, just like like the melody kind of ding 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 ding. It will kind of like come up a little bit. But it is so slow. Yeah. This and is so bland. <laughs> like so spoilers, I think Ignoreland is definitely the worst song on this album because it doesn't succeed either lyrically or musically. Um mm-hmm. I skip Star Me Kitten more than I skip Ignoreland. Yeah. And I and I, I am happy to skip them both. <laughs> uh, for, you know, for the most part. Like neither of these work for me that well. Um this will be re recorded as a novelty thing uh later. Yeah. Uh, which we'll talk about kind of when it comes out, but there's another version of this that's much more interesting and unlistenable uh, <laughs> that comes later. Yeah. So just know that we're not skipping it. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't have anything else to say about Starmy Kitten. No, neither do um, I, because I'm very excited about talking about Man on the Moon. Yeah, Man um, on the Moon is great. Yeah, this might be my favorite REM song, actually. This is this is a good candidate for that. Yeah. Um, um, this is like weirdly tied up in history for me. Like just in terms mm-hmm. of like finding my taste in comedy and finding my taste in like a period of time that I could romanticize a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like Andy Kaufman, even from really early age, was kind of a hero. So when I found out that there was this really great, strange song with this weird beat and this kind of intricate composition about him by this like weird understated band, like this was kind of a like an intro point to REM for me. And also like um you know, underline my affection for Andy Kaufman as like a figure and a, and a create like a creative, um, I don't know, like idol. Is that a weird, that, that, that sounds shitty. I don't mean that. Well, but not like, like some, idol, but yeah, like yeah. A, somebody you look up to. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I like this. Did, it didn't come at me that I was 
vaguely familiar with Andy Kaufman mm-hmm. at the time I heard this, and I was definitely familiar with with, with REM. So I was just wanting to listen to the new you know REM single. But mm-hmm. for my money, this is the song on this album that sounds like an REM song. Yeah. You know, like un- unequivocally, like this sounds like an REM classic to me mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, even the songs I like on this album don't. Right. Um, and it has such a they are so good at these gigantic soaring choruses. Oh, my God. That whenever they don't happen, I'm kind of like if there's an album <laughs> without one, I kind of get bummed out. Right. You know, it is such a good like and it's so fun to sing. It's so fun to like yeah. go along with. Like, the melody is very good. I, like, I don't even care that there's like seven too many choruses for karaoke yeah choruses like, and and verses like yeah. this song is too long too every song on this album needs to be shorter even right. though good ones right but like you know i i just i i wish and pray to god that like i can find some kind of weird reunion concert where they will play this so i can go there and be in the room for when it for <laughs> when it breaks out so i can just participate in that because like just i'm not that down for sing-along stuff but like this is made for it yeah it seems like like this is a, a 100 participatory song that will like sweep you away. Like every single element is on lock um, in the album version. And just every live version that I've seen has been immensely satisfying because of the crowd participation. Yeah. It does a great job of like mixing the kind of speak singy, you know, Michael Stipe and the big, big chorus. Yeah. Singy Michael Stipe. Like it does both. Like there's a little bit of something for everyone. There's an, like the backing vocal lines, the Mike Mills, like during the chorus, hey, yeah, you know, like, hey, yeah, oh. hey, hey. Well, that it within the like man on the moon, mm-hmm. you know, that pops up afterwards. That like sounds so good. Yeah. Um, and it's also like this is very uh, the actual words of this. If you don't consider what it's about are very direct, but in a way that I it's like slangy in a way that grounds it. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, you know, if you you know, if you believe they put a man on the moon, you know, if you believe there's nothing out there to see and nothing is cool, but the, you like, know, like that nothing is cool line is so good to me. Like that just is. works. Like, like, I mean, it's like, it's like, again, just something that we talked about. What in the try this about Akewood and sunset rubdown, like this mixture of like high and low. Yeah. High it, language and low language. Yeah. Kind of thing. And, and, yeah. and like any other band with any other treatment would probably have fucked this up, but it comes across as this, ridiculously sincere meditation on faith from a really non-religious perspective because it is you know about like you know it's kind of up to you to decide whether andy kaufman and elvis are dead or not you know yeah and you know mixing these credible things that you know happened within people's lives you know within within the 70s putting um isaac newton up against moses you know yeah <laughs> you know putting uh you know the, these elements about like hey here's a truck stop instead of saint peter's like I, like like this to me it speaks to me in this really profound way as a as a person who doesn't have a religion but likes to consider that they have a little bit of faith you know yeah yeah and and plays into uh the you know the into andy kaufman mm-hmm. you know as as kind of a figure who is really interesting like even if that doesn't if he doesn't yeah. work for you yeah. like as a figure, he feel he, he undeniably is important, but also feels important and unique, mm-hmm. and feels representative of themes. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, like in in a, in a real real way. Yeah, like he, he was a person that fed and created, um, and was and was fed by um uncertainty, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know his his entire act was trying to decide whether or not he was for real. Yeah, <laughs> um, I love this song. I love the music video. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just them, uh, you know, kind of going around like, uh, 
them in the desert going to this truck stop where R.E.M. kind of hang out. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's Michael Stipe walking along singing, and then you have this kind of very on-the-nose imagery that goes along with it, like images of these board games and stuff that they're playing. Bill Barry picks Michael up um, in his big rig, and they go to this bar where everybody's mouthing along to the songs. Mike Mills is playing pool, and you know Peter Buck is tending bar. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really good uh, really good video. Yeah, really good video, really really excellent song. Yeah. Like uh, you know, like I said, my favorite song on the record that I, I'm not going to put in our consideration because it feels obvious, but not right. because it's not my favorite song on the record. Yeah. Um, um I just like talking about this musically as well. So the chorus um is a really interesting chord pro- progression, but like the verse, they came on it because um so it was Bill Berry who discovered this uh when he was playing guitar and then he was uh fingering a, a c chord and then he mm-hmm. swung around to reach Who's c chord <laughs> <laughs> thank you um uh. <laughs> he, he was making a c chord and then he turned and then he reached for a beer and he slid up to the third uh, to the third fret turning that c into a into kind of like a weird augmented d and they're like oh like that slide is actually really cool and that mm-hmm. ended up forming the foundation for the song um, yeah. And that is a real fun move to do. In fact, I work that into it's not a C to a D, but it's a similar construction, I think, with a capo in the um, in those in the theme song for this uh, for the show. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a neat song. Musically it has a lot of different parts and, and everything, but the parts are not uh, they're music like distinct from one another, too. Mm hmm. You know, which is something that that lends to it having kind of a complicated composition, which is one of the things I don't like about this album is the the lack of that feeling. Yeah. You know, to me, like, yeah, I, I love this song. What a good name for that. They later will talk about the movie when it comes out Yeah, uh, that they did the soundtrack for and everything. But this became kind of, you know, additive and respectful and important to the Andy Coffin, like kind of mythos. Yes. So um, after it comes Night Swimming, um, another single from like this, this album is half singles. There's yep. six, six singles on this song of 12 albums, <laughs> like ridiculous. pretty bonkers. Yeah. Well, they started um, like trying to wring singles out of this stone. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, things like some things just kind of charted, mm-hmm. you know, I think that there's a little bit of probably a little bit of cart before the horsesm mm-hmm. in it where like, you know, non non uh, single charting songs are always interesting to me. And uh, I think that happened with this album a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much so they ran out of B-sides eventually. Yeah. Like not all these things have unique B-sides. <laughs> um, this is a very direct and, and simple song yeah. um, that like I do. I think this is very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Like it doesn't. I would never say it's like my favorite REM song or one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, it used to be an object of ridicule for me. I've come around on it. Um, mm-hmm. just being, you know, just because it is so, it is so saccharine. I think my estimation of the song has like grown along with my appreciation for Mike Mills because this is so much his jam. Yeah. Um, as a you know, uh, composing the piano part for it, but like. I don't know, like it, it was an object of derision, but also like I'm I'm kind of affectionate of that because like we would sing it when me and my high school friends went up to Lake Erie and swam at East Harbor, you know, like as the sun was going down, we would just sing night swimming deserves yeah. <laughs> like we were just, yeah. just, 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 just all over the place. Like, so in a weird tongue in cheek way, we were making fun of it, but also it was very much a, uh, you know, a part of our experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's like, it's good. It's like it's very pretty and it's very it's good mm-hmm. and it's very just like oh this is about sneaking off to the swimming hole and mm-hmm. skinny dipping yeah and you know it's kind of like all there on the tin yes you know um, um and it's you know I'm not I'm not against this being this direct because it is frivolous um whereas everybody hurts is direct about a very serious thing 
Yeah. 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 This, this is just, it's almost like a diary entry. Yeah. It's a nostalgia, right? Yeah. Um, and, and kind of musically, it is a really nice piano part. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this would, could be like, you know, a little bit less middle of the road for me if it were shorter again, Yep. all the songs being a little bit, uh, too much, but everybody kind of turns in good performances here, you know, if not great, like piano line is great. The vocals are good. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a, a, a good song. And I feel very similarly about, uh, the next song too. Yeah. About, uh, find the river. Yes. Um, find the river I think is held together and made kind of not transcendent, but like it is definitely lifted by the, uh, the presence of that melodica. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm always happy to hear a melodica. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, this is a dynamic, interesting kind of melody mm-hmm. to you. Um, Find the River is good. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's still like down tempo, down tempo and long, mm-hmm. you know, but it's a little bit less so. Um, I think this is actually a really good album closer. Yes. Uh, for them, like this feels like this only has like one possible place. Mm-hmm you know, it could be on the album and this is yeah. where it's at. And it's, it's an appropriate closer for this particular album as well. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't have tons more to say about it. Like it, it is, it's good. It's like kind of like, um, uh, cheesy and kind of hopeful sounding. Yeah. At parts. Like there are parts with like some like real cheesy little like instrumental fills <laughs> that happen between lines. Yeah. Um, uh, th- th- there's, there's some very cheesy, like li- lyricism going on here too. Uh, the, 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 the ocean is the river's goal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just said about to write a song about water, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it, they're back on their water, water tip. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I don't have tons to say about it, though. It kind of leaves me not cold, but just kind of like leaves me lukewarm a little bit. Yeah. It, it's like a lot of the album. Like it, uh, definitely <laughs> encompasses a lot of my feelings about it, which are like, I, I, I like this more than I remember liking it. Because mostly this is one of those albums that I've gone back in mind for singles. I I liked it a lot more when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Like I, I liked this album a lot when it came out as one of the first tapes I bought. Um, not the first tape I ever had, but one of the first tapes I pur- purchased like with my own money and stuff and, and really loved it. And going back and listening to it, I like it a lot less. Uh, you know, it's still kind of like I, I went through an arc where I was like, yeah, this is like a nine. And then thinking about it, I was like, oh, it's like a six. Mm-hmm. And then I come back to it. It's like, oh, this is like a seven. Yeah. You know, this is a real average REM album for me. Um, the highs are good. Like the highs are very high, mm-hmm. um, but it just has so much stuff that just feels samey in middle of the road. Yep. Um, and it just, it's, it's pretty hard. Yeah. Hard for me to, to get passionate about it. Like I don't feel passionate about it. Right. You know, um, let's, uh, let's do, let's do highs and lows. So if, if you have to pick, so man on the moon is both of our highs. What is your second high? Oh, my second high would have to be. Hmm. Sidewinder sleeps tonight. Okay. That's yep. a, yeah, I, I, that's good. Yeah. I like that. And, and it, I would do it, try not to breathe, but I love both those songs. Yeah. Like my, my other one would have to be try not to breathe. Like I think that, um, you know, drive definitely deserves an honorable mention uh, among the honorable <laughs> mentions, but like in terms of one that I could just listen to out of the blue, um, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of matches like drive. You have to kind of be in the mood for to appreciate, you know, you have to have a particular ear for it on that particular day. Whereas the sidewinder sleeps tonight, I think is satisfying enough, um, on a, on a, on a broad enough level. Um, yeah. and is like put together in a really thoughtful way that like you would not think for how goofy it is. Yeah. 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 Um, I can get, I can get on board with that. I would, I would say try not to breathe, but I feel very good about sidewinder sleeps tonight. Yeah. And then as far as like bad songs, it's like, 
I really, really hate Ignoreland, but I might just to switch it up, might give that to New Orleans instrumental number one for being worthless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, literally having no value. Yeah. So. Like, like New Orleans instrumental number one, like I don't care if it lives or dies, like that just falls beneath it. Like if I, if yeah. I have to, if I have to cast my flaming sword into one of these, it will be Ignoreland. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess like, I mean, I, I deleted both of them off Apple music so they don't show up in my pleasure listening. <laughs> like I listened to them a bunch, the album just a, because I've been preparing for, for this recording session for longer than I should have. Like, I was yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I need to feel like I'm doing homework. So like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, so, so put this on and I just listened to the, the whole album a bunch of times and I was just like, okay, now what's going to stay for just fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, both those made, you know, both those were cut. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yep. yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's good. I think that part of the reason why I feel so lukewarm on it too, is because of the reputation as like the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. I'm not being reactionary, but like if, if in a vacuum, if I knew nothing about what any other people, if I wasn't reacting to like, listen, this is the best REM album fella, mm-hmm. then maybe I, I wouldn't feel so like strong. No, it's not, you know, like <laughs> this very strong, like, are you crazy? Like, and have you heard reckoning? Like, have you heard new adventures <laughs> in hi-fi? Like there's just like, I don't have that feeling. Right. Or I maybe wouldn't have that feeling in that case. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I think I might be a little bit more, a little bit more charitable to this or a little bit more positive on it. If it wasn't, if it wasn't just a symptom of them kind of settling into a groove, you know, like the logical resting place after green and out of time, like green and out of time are both very weird albums like green being surprisingly good on a re-listen um, and out of time having a really good second half. They have enough inconsistencies to say like, Hey, they're trying a bunch of crazy stuff here. They are operating with a confidence that like, Hey, this is the kind of thing that we've decided we're really good at making. And I think that Michael Stipe is like working lyrically very well outside of, you know, your everybody's hurt and your, <laughs> and your ignore lands. Um, yes. Like, like, like the, 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 there are moments where this soars, but otherwise it feels like, strangely complacent um especially you know hot on the heels of stuff that came before it you know strangely complacent is a good way to put it yeah um yeah so let's uh let's get into some kind of b-sides and also rands and, and such yes um here just to kind of round things out um the fan club's still going strong which means we have some some good and some bad things popping <laughs> on out of that. Um, one of the weirdest things to come out of it is this song called Where's Captain Kirk? What the fuck is happening here, Gary? Yeah, this this is a, another punk song. Like They're always covering these real legit punk bands like Mission yeah. of Burma and Television. And this is uh, Spiz <laughs> Energy, which I've never heard of before. No. It sounds fucking gross. Like It sounds like something that Dr. Strangelove <laughs> would warn you like not to, <laughs> to give up your Spiz Energy or else the <laughs> communists. And it's a, it's a song about Captain Kirk. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It doesn't sound like REM. Like I know it's REM. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've verified it because the YouTube that says it is does not sound like REM. No like production no. or vocals or anything. And, and you and you listen to the original and like oh well these are obviously different uh, same song but like you know different different performances. Uh, but they mm-hmm. are definitely working very close to the Spiz Energy space. Yeah, it is in the Spiz Energy space, which sounds like <laughs> a Starcraft two or or uh, Star Control two kind of a uh, thing to look out for. Yeah. Um. They do. Uh, they did a couple more Christmas things because that's you know, the, the thing that makes everyone's while I'm like, man, I wish that we uh, or wish I had been on part of that fan club. And then like, and like nope. I didn't need to get our Christmas record once a year. <laughs> no, um, especially not with like drunken and sloppy versions of Silver Bells and Christmas Time is here. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's real weird that this was pressed to vinyl like that. That's such a like a, a mark of 
you know, permanence. Yep. And prestige. You know? yep. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, the oof. <laughs> um, winged mammal theme. Um, it's fine. It's like a very, like, it's more cinematic than they usually do, but it's like a, a piano and organ instrumental. Yeah. It's, it sounds very, I used to have um, a new wave tape mm-hmm. that I listen to all the time called Hemispheres. <laughs> and uh, it sounds a lot like that to me. Yeah. Um, there's this like honking, there's this, like, this harmonica line in it mm-hmm. that comes in at certain points that's just yeah. like very silly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's not unpleasant. It's just like a weird, you know, instrumental. Yeah. Um, kind of upbeat. Um, slightly more interesting is uh, It's a Free World Baby. Mm-hmm. This is on some soundtracks. I think this is on the um, the soundtrack to Friends. Possibly. <laughs> I, I think it got brought back up for that. Like I bought a, I remember having the soundtrack to Friends that they released the yeah. tape because it had, an, I think it had this, um, it had Toad Let's Rocket song, who oh, I liked yeah. a bit at the time, and has a Good Hootie and the Blowfish song on it as well. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was I was 14 or whatever. No, that's fine. No, I understand. I I was yeah. I was alive in 1993 and had like two, two years in a heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, this song was on it. And I, I like this song. I, for me, this is like a better version of um, Fretless Almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of like it has this uh, this kind of thing that happens before the chorus, like this real fun kind of bass climb. Mm-hmm that takes the actual like tempo of climbing stairs to me, like an intentional, like ding, 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 ding. Like it, it's uh, yeah, I, it's, I like it. It's a like, a, like a slow walk almost. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, I like the, uh, the rhythm, um, like the actual like drum part in it as well. Uh, yeah. it's like strangely at the forefront and it's also, uh, like halting and weird in a way that you just don't see on a, on an A side. Yeah. It's a real, like the, uh, the, uh, verses are very strange and kind of experimental. And then the chorus has kind of become, kind of more standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the song quite a bit. Yeah. Um, um, they covered for a, a benefit thing. They covered uh, a Richard Thompson song called wall of death. Yeah. Which uh, I like quite a bit. Yeah. This is, uh, this is good. Uh, this is outside of man on the moon, kind of the most Mike Mills that we get to hear mm-hmm. <laughs> just because it's uh this guitar palette, a uh, guitar ballad with these uh, really tight harmonies on it. Um, so you get to hear it. It's almost like a uh, Mike Mills is sharing top billing on the, on the vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is this is really nice. I don't know Richard Richard uh, Thompson. Neither do I. Um, very well. But this song is about like carnival rides. You know, it's like the, the wall of death is a carnival ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I like it a lot. Like this is this is a this is a sweet song, um, and is uh, is catchy and good about riding that thing. I think this uh, this uh, deserves a place. If you're mm-hmm. a fan, you should check this out. Um, as well as I'm going to skip the next one just to make a segue. Yeah. Um, the Robin Hitchcock cover uh, they do have Arms of Love. Um, I really like Robin Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, this is a very, very sweet, uh, Robin Hitchcock song. That is the B side of, I think man on the moon. Hmm. Um, yep. yeah. uh, the, the, the organ in this is really like kind of baller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a real basic song construction. It feels very standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's got very sweet, like kind of like, uh, I keep saying sweet. Um, these kind of very like charming backup vocals as well. Yeah. It, uh, uh it gives them room to play. Yeah. Um, New Orleans instrumental too. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's that again. Um, this is also, they went and did a kind of a famous live TV performance where they did the U2 song one, um, along with U2, mm-hmm. um, which is a song that a lot of people really love. I've always thought is really overwrought and kind of shitty, <laughs> uh, but they, they, they sang it. Yeah. Um, they also somewhere around here and I, I sent this over to the notes. I apologize for sending over the song stuff kind of disorganized. Um, we can talk about it. So if anyone's wondering like why we're not talking about the unplugged, 
performance, which happened around here, mm-hmm. um, like a couple years. Let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit during the uh, answer bag. Yes. During Death Letter Office 2. Yeah, that'll be so, after the uh, the new adventures in Hi-Fi. Yeah. So if anyone's wondering about that, but we will talk about that. We'll talk about their their Trogs cover and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, a little bit more because uh, it's an interesting performance at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could actually probably do because they did that later one as well. Yeah. Like just talk about them generalities. I don't want to do song by song, but no. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, they had a, a demo called fr- fr- the fr- Fruity Organ song or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, just fruit, fruity organ. That the beginning of it sounds like dead eye dick. That <laughs> like uh, she's a new wave girl, you know. Don't 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 like you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. She sure she don't eat meat, but she sure like the bone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's in that that song. Uh, Jenny Plaza has done that at karaoke before, and it's like <laughs> there's some waja to that. Like it's kind of hard. The lyrics of that are very, <laughs> yeah. uh, very rough. Yeah. Um, but it, it's funny. I love this because uh, it Arium can't not. Like they can't make something sound serious. Like it has to turn into like a, an REM ass chord progression. Uh huh. So this starts off with them doing this kind of silly circus thing and then turns into like a, <laughs> like just like a kind of a high drama REM <laughs> yep. chord progression. Yeah. It's just, it's just two out of five chords are going to be minor. Cause why? Yeah. Not? Yep. Yeah. Cause, uh, cause that, that's, that sounds good. And then weirdly, I think this might've been part of uh, the last record, but uh, we might've missed it. Um, a song called chance, uh, which is, pretty unusual um this kind of electronic instrumental yeah um thing with the, the real mechanical that he kind of speaks things over um there's a part in this song where he literally goes okay this is getting tedious um, <laughs> yeah. like, in the lyrics and the performance like, yeah I, like the, the, this this read to me as like overtly antagonistic yeah um, and i was having none of it yeah it's, it's it's pretty it's pretty hard to to want to listen to chance yeah you know, chance, 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 chance. Like it, it is, uh, <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. Um, and not particularly good. No. Um, so you mentioned the, uh, the, the weird version of Starmie kitten, um, which was on a, an album that I owned actually. Yeah. I had that too. The X files. Yeah. Yeah. Songs, so- in songs in the key of X. I got it for, uh, there's a really good, um, uh, oh gosh, Gary Newman cover that the Foo Fighters did. Yeah, that, that's great. That's the, uh, that, down, down in the park. Down the park is really good. They're like yeah. the Foo Fighters. I mean, that's a great song that. anyway. But yeah, the, the yeah. Foo Fighters is very good. Yeah, um, but I but I got this. Um, also, the, the the Nick Cave one is uh, is, is pretty good mm. as well. Um, but uh, but no, they did a version of Star Me Kitten um, with uh, with William S. Burroughs, and I have no idea what the fuck is going on. It's uh, it's somehow slower. <laughs> yeah, like the music is actually slower, and I don't know if that's because. Like William S. Burroughs couldn't keep up with the blistering pace of Star <laughs> Like it's a, but it, it's a thing you listen to once. Like you're not going to sit down and listen to the William S. Burroughs version of that. No, where it's just because he he doesn't sing. You know, <laughs> have we lost our? Like, you know, it's just him. It's it's just kind of like you know whiskey and razor blades like tumbling yeah. out of his mouth. Um, it's a, it's not particularly good. It's yeah. just novel. Yeah. You know, and it, it's like, it's so weird. That's like, oh, that's a, that's a piece of X-Files merchandise. <laughs> um, very, very strange. Has, has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> no. Um, so that, that's it for, for automatic for the people. Um, an album we both are okay with. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is, uh, I, I don't know. I would say, uh, what, what is it like, like, like third quadrant, something like that. Yeah. 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 That, 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 that sounds about right. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's okay. Um, I feel fine harvesting it for singles. Yep. Um, the uh, Yeah, so if you uh, will be back in two weeks talking about Monster, 
Uh, if you like the show, the most direct thing you can do to support it is go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Um, we've announced a bunch of changes uh, for that that will take place on July 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should check them out. You should check out our new uh, milestone goals and new rewards and see if there's anything that strikes your fancy. Yeah. Um, we worked very hard on that. I know that that is not usually like the, uh, a reason to care about something, but, um, I say that only to say we put a lot of thought into trying to make something that people would like, um, yes. and to make changes that we felt were constructive. Yeah. 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 Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully that works. Hopefully you do find them constructive and appealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of alluded to during the episode itself, we have another listener mail episode, another dead letter office coming. Not about the actual episode. Uh, we're going to have to talk about what we name those. <laughs> um, uh, we're recording that a little bit earlier than you would think. Um, so if you have any questions or thoughts about uh, about REM albums, let's say up through New Adventures in Hi-Fi, uh, go ahead and send those our way. Uh, go to uh, duckfeed.tv slash contact um, and send them in. Uh, that was a lot of fun we did, when we did it last time. Um, mm-hmm. Not a lot of people listen to this show, but the people who do are really engaged and like talking with us. And we like hearing it. Um, so, uh, that'll be, we'll, we'll be recording that sometime in late June. Watch our social media, um, on Twitter at Duckfeed TV, uh, for like the absolute deadline for that. Yes. Yeah. And then ratings, reviews, things like that, telling your friends about it are always useful. Uh, so don't stop doing that if you're doing it mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, start doing it if you're not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, I think that's about it. So, uh, until uh, next time it is the end of the show as we know it. And we feel fine.